1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's Craig Collins Show. So uh, this thing's going viral at least a little bit. It is Chuck Todd on NBC telling you how Republicans died at a far greater rate than Democrats um, during COVID, specifically after the vaccine became widely available. That's the way uh, that Chuck Todd and NBC presents it. And to be honest, that's actually the way that the study itself kind of concludes things. Uh, The study is out of Yale and other places, and it looked at two states, Ohio and Florida. The reason why Florida is included is actually really interesting to me once you dive into the data. But I'm going to try very hard to go deep into a topic and to expect you to stay with me um, when they say that everybody's attention span, not your intelligence, your attention span is so short that I probably should move on to other topics more quickly than I'm about to. But let's try it. Let's seriously do it. And I honestly want anyone and everyone out there who's listening to this show, especially the people who think I'm a crazy person who says stuff always on one side of the aisle, who uh, dabbles in conspiracy theory, any of the far-right accusations I've ever gotten on this show, I want you to listen extra close and text me why I'm wrong or why you think I'm wrong in what I'm about to talk about. 309-340-4464 is the phone number, 309-340-4464. Because I do think if we uh, follow through all of this, it's definitive proof. That what happens in the world of, say, scientific study and then winds up on television all just leads to a bunch of crap that that people assume is true or confirmation bias takes over. And you you thought it was true before. And now you just definitely believe it's true. And it's being misrepresented sort of wildly so. And I don't know if it's intentional or just a lot of laziness for all involved. I'm not going to go as far as to say I know it's intentional because it could be a lot of laziness. Uh, But it's a lot of laziness. All right. First, Chuck Todd. Let's play the audio. And easily you're going to think what um, I think the message of this is, is that Republicans were worse off than Democrats because they didn't get the vaccine. They didn't believe in the vaccine, et cetera, et cetera. All the things you've heard before. Here we go. Welcome back. Data download time. The official COVID-19 health emergency may be over. But this week, a scientific study published in the Journal of the American Medical Association revealed What many had suspected, Republicans who lagged behind in accepting the efficacy of the COVID vaccine paid a steeper price. Researchers from Yale examined 538,000 deaths in people 25 and older in Florida and Ohio from April 2020 to December 2021. And they found that the excess death rate, deaths beyond what would normally be expected, was 15% higher for registered Republicans than for Democrats. And by the way, you know, I'm just going to stop it right there. It's weird, the background music, right? Like the, the upbeat um, breaking news data, whatever he called the segment uh, where they dive deep into data themselves music. That's not exactly the type of music I'd expect to be behind information about people who died uh, from COVID. Uh, but nonetheless, right now, if I just stop playing the audio, uh, you would and you assume that everything Chuck Todd said was correct and that the study he, he was referencing was true. Then you'd think that definitive proof has come out that uh, Republicans were much worse off than Democrats. I said before I played the audio uh, because of uh, their choices in the world of the vaccine compared to Democrats. Now, I looked at the actual data. I went into the actual study. And this is the the part of the the conversation where I'm hoping not to lose you. I hope you don't check out and stop paying attention because this is and I even shared part of the images on my Twitter page, Radio Craig C on Twitter, and asked the simple question I'm going to ask during this segment. Someone tell me how I'm getting this information wrong. But first, before I even do that, 
I want to read the limitations part of the study, the part they put at the very end before they gave their results. Uh, this is verbatim, word for word, what they wrote in their limitations. Uh, the people who studied the thing that Chuck Todd just talked about. Our study has several limitations. First, there are plausible alternative explanations for the difference in excess death rates by political party affiliation beyond the explanatory role of vaccines discussed herein. Second, our mortality uh, data, although detailed and recent, only included approximately 83.5% of deaths in the U.S. and did not include cause of death. Although overall excess death patterns in the data are similar to those in other reliable sources, uh, it is possible that the deaths that our study data did not include may disproportionately occur uh, among individuals registered with a particular party, potentially biasing our results. So the first two sentences of their limitations say our results may sound worse for Republicans than they actually are because we don't have all the information, but we're publishing what we got. Screw it. Uh, we got to 83.5%. That's a B minus. Uh, that feels good enough to us. And then also before that, saying that there are alternative explanations uh, for this. So then I wondered, like, okay, if that's what you say at the end of your study, and Chuck Todd saying all the stuff he says at the beginning, then what does the actual data say? So I looked into that, and I have it sitting in front of me, uh, and I want to throw some of it out there. Early years of COVID pandemic, uh, that would be 2020 of March, March 13th, I think, when they start the data, all the way to December 31st, 2021. So the entire data set, uh, they say the overall excess death for everybody was 20.5. Uh, that means per community. They went from community to community. Uh, 22.1 for Republicans, 18.5 for Democrats. That's a difference of 2.8 uh, deaths per community uh, that they think leans one way or another way. Uh, and that was just total numbers. Then if you go before vaccine, the numbers are eerily similar, 19.4 and 18.8 Democrats to Republicans. Now, here's where the data get, makes no sense to me. After open vaccine eligibility happens, Democrats' death rate does not get any better. The excess death rate, which is a weird number that this study just sort of figured out on its own. Uh, they tried to look at what a typical amount of of death would be in a community, and then they decided how many deaths were beyond that typical amount. But 18.1 were the Democrats' excess deaths uh, after vaccine became available. So just to recap, for, for Democrats, 18.8 to 18.1, barely any change in the amount of people who lost their lives in excess of the number they'd expect. Uh, so there's another way that I could uh, talk about this study right now if I wanted to. The vaccine had no impact on saving lives. Based on this study and that information, if that's the road we want to go, I could legitimately say that as a way to sum this up. I'm not saying I believe that. I'm just confused uh, with how this works. And then if you go to the Republican numbers, it goes from 19.4 before the vaccine to 25.8 after. So Republican excess death jumped way up. The number got much, much higher. And yet there's no reason in this data to explain why. And so I wondered to myself, what else could they be talking about when they say that there are other explanations for excess deaths and that it could technically fall in these Republican places or these Democratic places. Well, two other quick things for you. Uh, first, I went even deeper. And in Florida, uh, because it says Florida and Ohio are the two places where they're looking at this data. In Florida, the numbers are almost identical. It's about 1% uh, or one, excuse me, death is the difference between um, Democrats and Republicans in Florida pre-vaccine, post-vaccine, across the board. So Florida didn't need to be included in this data. It's just included because I think it's a buzz state and it takes a shot at um, uh, Ron DeSantis. But the actual information says that that was not where the disparity occurred. It, occur it occurred in Ohio. 
Uh, we actually have like seven, eight uh, deaths different as far as the percentage, um, you know, the, th- the number that's skewing everything so far um, to one side in the entire data. It's just Ohio. So you could say that in Ohio this happened and Florida it didn't. Uh, but what I thought was also interesting is the amount of violence uh, that has upticked throughout our country. It's about six or seven percent, the amount of violence. So the, the amount of deaths caused by an increase in violence in the country is up an identical percentage amount or identical number to the amount of, of excess lives lost in Ohio and not in Florida. And Ron DeSantis actually brags quite a bit about controlling violence better in Florida than most of the rest of the country does. And this is not supposed to be a secret, you know, pro-DeSantis segment. It's just so interesting because if you stuck with me for all of that, essentially what we learned is that Chuck Todd, NBC, and a whole lot of other places are going to run with a headline that claims that there is definitive data proof that Republicans died at a much greater rate than Democrats, and the actual data itself, and even the limitations segment of the study, uh, reference how they could be completely wrong, it could be something else, and it's only really Ohio, not Florida, uh, where those numbers are bearing out at all. All that stuff left out, for whatever reason, uh, by mainstream media. So you tell me. I've, I've given you all the pieces, all the information. I can tell you how to look it up yourself. Uh, what part of this doesn't confirm the conspiracy theory uh, that news is tremendously one-sided, uh, that mainstream media doesn't care about telling you uh, the actual news. It cares about reinforcing a narrative. Because I just want to play one part of Chuck Todd's um, uh, coverage again to kind of end this segment, and it's the thing he said right at the beginning. He said something we already knew was true apparently has been proven true. That's confirmation bias if I've ever heard it before in my life. Welcome back, Data Download Time. The official COVID-19 health emergency may be over. But this week, a scientific study published in the Journal of the American Medical Association revealed what many had suspected. Republicans who lagged behind in accepting the efficacy of the COVID vaccine paid a steeper price. Yeah, that's not at all what the data actually says. And even the people behind the study admit that that could be completely inaccurate as far as a way to assess this information, even though they write in their results at the end after that, you know, limitations part, that that's what they think happened. And that's how it gets represented on TV. This is a broken system. And this is sort of, I think, uh, an easy way to prove it. Uh, but tell me how I'm wrong. 309 340 309 Three four zero four four six four, or yell at your radio and say this crazy conservative, you know, uh, right wing nut job, um, uh, tinfoil hat guy is lying to me once again. Or even better yet, look for the information yourself. Uh, it took me all of ten minutes to figure all this out this morning uh, to talk to you now uh, this afternoon. All right, quick break. A lot more. Fourteen seventy one hundred point three WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. Fourteen seventy. 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. I love that I'm getting texts uh, and people are asking questions. Uh, none of them actually qu- questioning my position and my belief that the data and the way that Chuck Todd talked about it today and something that might be viral and used a lot of other places, it might pop up on local news tonight uh, that more Republicans died of COVID than Democrats and data proved it. Uh, and yet there's a lot of questions you can easily ask if you actually pay attention to the information. So one of the people that text me asked, did age play a factor in all this? Uh, the researchers said that they were only looking at excess death. 
uh, meaning death that wouldn't be expected in a certain area. And so if the population was older, uh, the researchers said that they assumed that there was a higher likelihood of a certain number of deaths. So they, they claim to have, have taken that out uh, as the simple answer to your question. However, I think it's fairly easy uh, to say that maybe it wasn't taken out as well as it could have been taken out because they never actually define it uh, by the age uh, specifically. They don't actually give you uh, that difference in information, uh, at least for Republicans and Democrats. They kind of give it to you across the board, and it shows that people that were older, uh, just like we thought, died of more of COVID than younger people. And then another texter sent me a couple really good questions. Uh, why only use Florida and Ohio? Uh, that seems narrow. Maybe a sample size that is bigger would have been more valuable and um, proven the point better. Uh, yes, is the answer to that question. Actually, even uh, specifically in relation to that question, when you look at the data they did uh, comb through, and Florida's numbers are so close for Republicans and Democrats, there's almost no difference. Why even include Florida? Why not just say this as, a, as an Ohio study, if that's the only state where you saw the huge discrepancy you did? And then also beyond that, another question, uh, did they include deaths for people uh, who were in their car and had a car accident, anything, or was it COVID-confirmed death? Uh, no, it was not COVID-confirmed. Uh, they just looked for people who died at a larger – the amount beyond whatever they thought was was typical. And they went back years – I read all the beginning of the study. Uh, they went back years to, to figure out what their norm would be, and they said they even tested their model – on years that they didn't know the answer to the question, how many people died in this community in this you know time period, uh, and their model worked every time before COVID. So there were certainly more deaths um, during COVID and, and after the vaccine, et cetera, became available. Like all that's all that's true. Uh, but what's interesting again is they they sort of remove uh, components of how that information could be broken down even better to get to the position they're at in the study, and then it's just parroted by people in news and media. And it'll pop all over the place. And when you hear someone say, ah, that's probably not true, uh, if you're someone who believed it to begin with, you just roll your eyes and be like, this conspiracy nut is doubting things that, that definitely seem true because the news said it. And it's it's just insane. But anyway, I wasn't really going to talk about that more here, uh, but I'll keep taking your text. I see more texts coming in, and maybe I'll bring that up later. Uh, I do want to talk about some other things out there in the world, uh, sillier things out there. Uh, 15 things that people say they're getting too old to tolerate. Uh, is a list of things I really, really liked. Uh, arguing with other people is something that at some point you just get too old to tolerate. Um, my best reaction to this, I don't know if I should say this on the radio, but I'm going to say it. We're going to live in this world, is depending on how much older than me someone is, the amount that they want me to disagree with them, not very, not very much. I, I don't know what that is. And I don't know if I do it too. If there's someone that's 10, 15 years younger than me, if I roll my eyes and think of them as a naive person and don't want to hear the things they're saying, I don't know. I don't think that I do that, uh, but I've, I've felt that before, and maybe that's an age thing, as is demonstrated here, is that the age difference between, say, you and whoever it is you're arguing with might give you less tolerance for the length of the argument, uh, and I, I, I don't know, um, but that's, that's the only thing I've experienced there. Uh, I like to argue, uh, I guess. Uh, I, I definitely don't mind to argue. So I don't know if I'll ever get too old to argue. Uh, concerts without assigned seating is number two on this list. Hangovers is number three. Um, she probably doesn't want me to mention this, but my wife uh, on Friday – no, I'm sure it's okay. My wife on Friday night uh, was kind enough to swing over to the VFW with me. Uh, we had the quartermaster, Eric, on the show. And uh, they were egging her on. And Betty does not drink a lot. She's like a one, two drink most uh, at most person. 
And I think she had like three or four. And she woke up and she was complaining a little bit of a hangover on Saturday and saying over and over again, uh, almost lethal weapon style, I'm too old for this. And I was like, I agree. Hangovers are ridiculous. The older you get, the more the hangover feels like you made decisions you shouldn't make anymore. And then we all make them again. Uh, lack of sleep is something that people say they can't uh, uh, deal with as they get older. Sleeping on an air mattress is also mentioned here. Absolutely. I agree with that. At some point, you just want to be in a regular bed, people. Uh, caring about people who don't care about you is on this list. That's great. Uh, you should never care what the opinion is of someone who demonstrates how little they care about you. Um, uh, because why? What, what benefit does it have for you? I, I care what your opinions are. I care about it for the sake of this show. Uh, text me if you disagree with me. That's fine. I'm not going to blow you off. But in your real life, in your everyday life, when you're walking around, the amount of people that you should care what their opinion is of you should be way, way fewer than for many of us it is. And I think that's true there. And I think as you get older, you start to believe that. And then finally, sitting on the floor is something people say they can't tolerate as they get older. Uh, yes, uh, sitting down for any amount of time in any way that's not as comfortable as possible. I'm only in my mid, uh, my late 30s. Uh, but anything like that is just something I don't want to tolerate anymore at all. Or sitting in like a, a kid's desk in a school. If you ever go to like some sort of meeting, uh, my brother complains about this. I don't really do this as much because uh, we don't have any kids. And you're doing the meeting in the school and you sit down like the little, the little kid desk. You're like, why am I in this desk? What is happening about this? This needs to stop now. Uh, those parent-teacher meetings should always be had in adult-sized um, uh, desks and and different sitting uh, situations. I think you should definitely stop them if it's not that. Although I do love those stories when he tells me how crunched he is while sitting in a desk but waiting for them to stop talking so he can just go home because he's not paying attention to anything they're saying, much like when he was in school the first time. All right, quick break, a lot more. Uh, 1470s and AM, 100.3 is an FM. We're all over the Internet. Uh, but one of the coolest ways, uh, one of the newest ways over the last few years uh, to listen to radio is you just tell your smart speaker. 1470, 100.3, WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. I think that Ken Zersky is going to be swinging in uh, to the studio here in just a little bit. Uh, he's going to be featured on the History Channel. Uh, there's a brand new uh, episode of a show coming out. Uh, the show is called The Mega Brands That Built America. Uh, the newest episode of the show, I think, airs on uh, the 6th at uh, – there he is, Ken Zersky. Uh, uh, the, um, Dan's mic. Uh, the sixth, and that is episode three. It's called A Whole New Ball Game. Uh, it is very exciting because it's all about baseball. And actually, uh, what Ken Zersky, I think, will be talking about is a blog post he has on Unremembered. Uh, the story, the book, the, a bunch of different research he's done. Uh, treated like a true historian by the History Channel. Feels like a significant achievement in life. Ken Zersky, welcome to the show. Hello. Uh, how does that feel when the History Channel flies you to New York City and they talk to you as historian Ken Zersky? Well, this started uh, a year ago, in late August, when one Tuesday evening, just a normal chaotic Tuesday evening in the Zersky household, mm -hmm. who's going to make dinner, who's taking my daughter to band practice, I get that bleep bleep notification that someone has given me an instant message on Facebook. Yes. And I thought it was my personal Facebook. It was actually my Ken Zersky author Facebook. Mm -hmm. And so I took, you know, at first I'm like, oh, i got things to do. What am I, what am I going <laughs> to do? I want to check that now. Later. I got you. Uh, but I did. I checked it, and it was a message that said, hi, this is Joel from the History Channel. We came upon one of your stories on your Unremembered. We like your story. It's wow. about a character we plan on doing on a new series we're producing. Yes. And we'd like to talk to you about possibly 
doing that, talking about that story and more. That's awesome. And Did I'm, you guys go beyond George <laughs> Rawlings, or is that all you talked about? Well, you're right. The story was about George Rawlings. It was actually about all three of the sports manufacturing, uh, uh, Spalding, Wilson, and Rawlings, mm-hmm. and how they helped the war effort, World War II, because the government needed tank helmets that could carry radios. So this is for the tank radio operator, <laughs> okay. right? fantastic. Uh, and so they helped out because it it was patterned after the football helmet. Yeah. It was basically a leather helmet that sure. had the radio in it. And so they made these helmets for the war effort. Wow. And that was the story. So the next day I did a Zoom meeting with the History Channel producer and they liked that. And they're like, well, we're really looking for the Rawlings guy. And I'm mm-hmm. like, well, I just did that. And they're like, well, do you, do you like you research? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I love research. <laughs> so for the next couple of weeks I researched that. They flew wow. me out to uh, well, their studios are in New Jersey. End up flying to LaGuardia and then getting a driving service to nice. New Jersey. Uh, but it was all taken care of. It was very quick. Couple of days, four hours for the taping, wow. and it all airs now on this Sunday night. Yes, mega brands that built America. It's a four-part series spinoff from the foods that built America. Very popular series nice. on the History Channel. And uh, so mine is the third episode in this four-part series. It's called A Whole New Ball Game. And uh, <laughs> I don't know how much I'll be on. Sure. They have their regulars. Adam Richman, if you know, remember sure. Adam Richman, the yeah. first man versus food. Yes. He's all over this series. Okay. And, and other regulars that they have on there talking about the uh, subject. Well, but, I mean, the synopsis is about, um, you know, Spalding Wilson and the Rawlings brothers. And so it sounds like you could have added information on everybody. Yeah. Um, they, have, they have other people talking about. Spalding, and mine was really mostly about the Rawlings brothers, okay. and it's really George Rawlings. The one brother kind of got out of the picture early, but sure. it's really about George Rawlings and the and the first baseball glove that had webbing. That's yes. A, well, and to be honest, I found your post on unremembered, uh, unrememberedhistory.com. It's from uh, May 15th of 2019, George and Alfred Rawlings is the title, How the Sporting Goods Makers Helped the War Effort. Mm-hmm. So it might be an interesting pre-read for anyone that's going to watch yeah, the show. Yeah, right. You can go on my blog site, just kind of Google that. They that, did. That episode is at 8. Yeah, they did. That episode is at 8 o'clock Central Time, right? It'll be eight, 9, 9 o'clock, eight, yeah, 8 o'clock Central Time, yes. Cool, perfect. Um, again, how does it feel to be someone who's featured as like a historian by the history? I feel like that's a pretty cool achievement in life. Yeah, people say I'm, I'm fairly humble about my books. I've got four <laughs> books out. Yes, you, know, you and I, I, I tend to just you know hope you enjoy it and that kind of thing. But sure. This is pretty cool. <laughs> it is pretty cool. And, right. I, and, and I made the teaser, because that's been playing now for a couple of weeks, maybe three weeks, mm-hmm. uh, the little commercial they're doing during the shows. My Good. son was watching the new Pickers episode the other week, mm-hmm. and that teaser was on, and I'm in it for like three seconds, but I'm in it. And I thought, well, that's kind of cool, because that's know, one of their big shows. I, I feel like I need to ask you this, because I know we had that um, uh, morning news coverage of WMBD and Greg Batten and, and Mike were uh, both featured. Mike Wilder, boss, was in it. And then you were in it, right? They had yeah, a shot of the, you. Uh, CBS uh, Saturday morning. Saturday morning. Yeah. So is this a TV career for Ken yeah. Zersky? This is <laughs> yeah, two right. TV appearances in a couple months. <laughs> well, I think Where my wife and daughter might want to see me on the Hallmark Channel. <laughs> Especially because they're doing the Christmas movies right sure. now, right? Christmas in July. I think so. Yeah. 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 Was there any sort of romantic uh, story about George or Alfred? Maybe you could play one of the Rawlings brothers in a in a Hallmark. Yeah. Movie. Right. <laughs> there you go. Uh, what did you learn about baseball that you'd want to share with us? Uh, anything else? I love that you did a deep dive into the world of baseball uh, beyond the, the yes. helmet. Yes. Yes, yeah. I did. But muffin ball is what they called it. I did a story about muffin ball when wow. when they went off to war. A lot of the baseball players before the Civil War went to war. Many of them didn't come home. Yeah. So a lot of other players kind of took up the mantle, and that's when baseball kind of started becoming serious. 
this, right? Mm-hmm. It was just kind of being played for fun, for then fun? It, okay. because they had rules. Right. But but there are guys who came back from the Civil War who just wanted to have fun and keep playing. So yeah. they they came up with muffin ball, which really didn't have any rules. If <laughs> if, if someone if someone caught okay. a a foul ball, someone who was watching the game, yeah. you're out. <laughs> You didn't have to. It's, you didn't have to touch the base. Just get close to I the said, base. Um, that's amazing. Uh, how long was muffin ball played for? Do you have any idea? Uh, probably several years okay. after the Civil War. Years I, I feel like we should bring that back. I feel like yeah, that should right. be something played now because <laughs> yeah. baseball is changing all its rules anyway. Yeah, right. They don't seem right. to care. Um, all right. Uh, anything else we should know about the appearance? About anything else that you're going to no, be sharing? Just watch at 8 p.m. It's going to be interesting. Those shows they do a very good job, and uh, I hope I get on there a lot. So yeah. uh, we'll see. Well, yeah, and uh, I assume they now have your phone number for anything else history channel related. They might need you for. Uh, they they know my blog site. There's about <laughs> 200 different stories that fit under that famously interesting, mostly forgotten kind of tag sure. that I do. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, I, I love that. I can't wait to see more of you there, man. But watch it 8 o'clock Central Time uh, this coming Sunday. Ken Zersky in our traffic department and all over television for the last couple weeks or couple months a quick break a lot more 1470 100.3 wmbd i realize as i'm talking uh, that ken has to move from one position to another position to do things for us so i'm going to take a quick extra second to tell you what's coming up uh, after i take this break Uh, you can um um uh, stay with us and hear some traffic from Ken. And then after that, I'll be talking about this Rand Paul audio and this uh, accusation, uh, this um, um, uh, really interesting information that's come out as far as a new email uh, from uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci, too, uh, that really seems to demonstrate um, a lot, uh, quite a lot, actually, uh, about how um, Fauci secretly or, or behind closed doors was much more worried about the COVID lab uh, than he seemed to be every time he was on television and said that the lab leak theory was ridiculous and conspiracy theory. But all right, now we're going to take a break. A lot more in a bit. 1470, 100.3, WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. 1470, 100.3, WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. We're all running around uh, doing stuff. My next uh, two guests just sitting down in the studio now after I I went out and grabbed them, uh, someone right over here on this microphone, and then someone right next to uh, that microphone there. I uh, have an upcoming show at the Cornstock Theater. I'm very happy that the Cornstock is so uh, willing to reach out to me and let me know about all the different shows you guys uh, have uh, at the theater. So I just got two stu- two people from our waiting room uh, just now before jumping on the air. Uh, tell me your names. Who do I have in studio with me? Uh, hi, I'm Sarah Allen. Sarah Allen. And then who else do we have in studio? I'm Eric Ewan. Eric, do you want to grab that mic pulled a little bit closer to you? Sure. Uh, Sarah, what role do you play in the next uh, uh, Cornstock show? I am playing Kate McGowan. Okay. And then what's your role in the play? I'm the director. <laughs> nice, Eric. That's a good person to have in studio for this. <laughs> uh, the name of the show is uh, what again? I, Titanic the, the Musical. There we go. I just had you guys on for the uh, Drowsy Chaperone, which I think just closed. Did that it just did. close? Okay. Mm-hmm. And so the Titanic the Musical show, a Titanic ensemble version cast, I uh, will be August 4th through the 12th uh, from s- at 7.30. Uh, tell me a little bit about the show. Well, the show, um, it's called the ensemble version because it's done with a smaller cl- cast than the original one that um, debuted on Broadway about 20 years ago. Gotcha. The original cast had 56 members. We have 30. Nice. So people do a lot of doubling, and okay. a lot, both in roles and in singing. And are running all around playing several different parts. That's one way it's different. It's also shorter. Um, <laughs> the original show was three hours long in New York, but our show clocks in hopefully around two hours and ten minutes and with intermission. <laughs> 
I like how you said hopefully. Yeah. (laughs) More or less. Um, uh, How long have you guys been rehearsing? How long do you rehearse most of these shows? I'm usually about eight weeks. Okay. All right. And so are you excited about the show coming up? I am absolutely thrilled. We've been putting in a lot of hard work. Um, I, I've liked to joke now, officially I've put in blood, sweat, and tears. <laughs> Was it all the, the same day or ranking. different days? It's been different days. Okay. All right, so. good. That's good. That feels better that way. Uh, so <laughs> tell me a little bit about you, uh, Sarah. Have you done a lot of shows at Cornstock? Yeah, so I actually grew up doing a lot of the Cornstalk for Kids show. This is my first big adult show under the tent, so it is very fun. It kind of feels like a big kind of step up or graduation almost. Um, Uh, By the way, you're wearing a Columbia College shirt. I don't know if you know this. Uh, Both our news guy and myself went to Columbia College. Are you going there now? I am not, actually. Oh, you're just rocking it for rocking it? Well, that's fine. We're happy for you rocking it. (laughs) Will and I are very proud of that. Uh, Eric, back to you a little bit. Uh, tell me about your involvement with Cornstock Theater. Well, I've been involved with Cornstock Theater till I, when I moved here back in 95, and I've directed six shows at Cornstock. This, well, this is my sixth okay. show. Why, and, uh, why this one? Did well, you pick it? I did pick it. Well, they always ask you for choices, and then the play selection committee narrows it down and asks you which one would you want to do. I said the other one, and this is the one they picked. <laughs> so wait, I was wait, like, wait, okay. can I know what the other one was? What was True. the other option? Uh, the other one, I, I think they decided it didn't have the name recognition oh. of Titanic, and they were hoping for that. Yeah. Um, I love the show, and I loved it when I saw it in New York on Broadway. I loved it again when I saw it at the Muni in St. Louis. Sure. And when they created this ensemble version, I thought it was doable in the tent, and okay. um, that's why I selected well, it. I, you know what? i, I got to ask that question, too, because I think that kind of makes sense. The Cornstock um, has put on shows that I'm definitely familiar with and then shows that I'm not all that familiar with. It feels like that sort of ebbs and flows, and maybe because the uh, Drowsy Chaperone was a, was a brand-new show to me, that maybe that's some of the decision-making, is that you have to find a few tent pulls within the, the season. Temples is a good word for it. Okay. Yeah, they try and find two big family-friendly shows. Gotcha. And then maybe in between they do some comedies and some maybe lesser-known musicals that had a strong appeal mm-hmm. um, other places but may, may not be as recognizable to the audience. Sure. But hopefully they come out and are pleasantly surprised with what they see. So I feel like I make a lot of people's eyes rolls when I roll when I talk about this, but I did theater in high school, <laughs> which means that, of course, I'm as experienced as anybody else. And I remember that my directors would always tell you, if you've seen the movie or the show before or any of that, don't try to be the people you saw in the movie. How difficult is that to coach people in, in something like the Titanic, which I think a lot of the audience is going to go in with a very specific representation of a version of this story in their minds? Well, they probably are, and they're going to be disappointed in one respect in that we are not the <laughs> musical version of the movie. Okay, they're, there's they're, not going to be a Leo scene where he's standing <laughs> on the edge of the boat? That's not going to happen? There is not. Okay, um, all right. This is a, a totally different story. It's based on all of the real-life characters who were on the Titanic, mm-hmm. And some people are disappointed when I tell them it's just not a musical version of the movie. But I always say there are lots of stories on the Titanic. Sure. And these people's stories is just as compelling as the movie. In fact, ironically, the movie came out um, the same year as the musical did on Broadway, Mm -hmm. actually helping the the Broadway musical with attendance, but then oh, wow. the Broadway musical won Tony Awards for Best Musical and Best Score. Sure. And and so it stood on its own and it has had a big life in community theaters and professional and regional theaters all across the country Sure. in various forms. That sounds fantastic. So tell me a little bit more about uh, the character Kate McGowan. Yeah, so one thing I actually do really like about this show is that it 
does bring a lot of humanity kind of back into the story of the Titanic. I think Mm -hmm. because everybody, they think, you know, the movie, they think, oh, Jack could have fit on the thing. That's all they really think about. Yeah, he really could have fit on the thing. Sorry, no, I mean, you're talking about the things. In this musical, it's historically based, so it does take a couple creative liberties or changes a few details, but every character that's portrayed was a real character and a real person on the Titanic. Gotcha. So for my character, Kate McGowan, um, we I'm in the third class. I basically, when I board the ship, I meet two other girls that are also from Ireland, and we're all named Kate, and so we just become best friends sure, instantly. that's how that works. We yep. all have the same name. Uh-huh. Um, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, I've really fallen in love with this character. She's very plucky and very determined, and I just very admire her a lot. It's been a lot nice. of fun bringing you her You do an life. Irish accent then? Um, I do, actually. Okay. <laughs> it's been a lot of hard work to put together. but <laughs> uh, How many actors and actresses in the play have accents? Um, well, we had to make sure we knew who was American and who was English uh-huh. because they were sailing to America. I would say over half have an English or Irish accent. How do you coach the accent part, or do you not coach it as the director? Um, you know, I... I sometimes give them line readings and give them pronunciations of certain words. We have a couple that is actually from England, and we oh, nice. ask, them, ask them for some pronunciations for certain words. Fantastic. Um, they, you know, Titanic the Musical is available on YouTube in various forms, so you can watch really good productions and not so good productions. <laughs> and, and, but you know, YouTube is a, is a treasure trove of how to do a certain accent. Mm-hmm. So. A lot of times people will look on there and then listen and bring it in. Sure. So. Is that how you did it a little bit? Did you cheat and go to social media? Um, a well, I guess it's not bit. cheating. The, the way it actually started, um, we were – so for auditions, I remember there's a ton of different roles in the show. Mm. I wasn't super-duper familiar going into auditions, but I did know Kate McGowan was the one character that was Irish, and sure. I didn't feel comfortable. So I circled, like, every other role that I wanted except for her. Oh, that's like, funny. And then at auditions, they were like, oh, just read for it, just try it, and I just gave it my best shot. Wow. Um, it, I feel a little bit embarrassed to say this, but it did just start out with me like doing a leprechaun interpretation or like mm-hmm. thinking of mm-hmm. like, Oh, sure. lucky charms. Yep. And then uh-huh. trying to make it actually real. Right. right. And yeah. then from that, I was like, okay, now I kind of have the cadence of it a little bit. Yeah. Let's maybe learn how to actually like act and yes. yeah. speak with it and not just kind of imitate a leprechaun. <laughs> well, fantastic. That's, it's all very good. Uh, August 4th to the 12th is the dates for the show. 7:30 is the show time at the Cornstock tent, uh, 1700. North Park Road in Peoria. Um, before I let you guys go, I just want to ask a little bit about the future. Are you guys planning on doing more cornstock shows? Is this something you've done a lot of, or maybe just other intentions for you um, uh, with the college shirt on? Are you going to go study acting anywhere? Um, so I actually get a lot of funny looks around cornstock when I tell people where I go to college. Um, I actually go to a STEM school, uh, the Rose Holman oh. Institute of Technology for Chemical Engineering. Sure. So um, no. So this yeah. is the last of your acting. It, it is okay, a lot gotcha. of fun. There is a drama club there, mm-hmm. so I do. I get to get my fill in there mm-hmm. with theater. Um, but yeah, I am home for the summer. It's been really, really nice to gotcha. just kind of get back to my roots and to do another show. It is something that I hope to be able to keep doing almost as a hobby, but sure. it's been a lot of fun. Gotcha, yeah. So if, unless they do like Oppenheimer or some sort of chemical engineering <laughs> related thing, I gotcha. And then uh, for you, uh, are you, is this a plan to direct in anything else coming up? Do you know how the whole season kind of looks the in the world of The that soccer? question is really bad because I'm so tired working on this one. <laughs> so, That's um, weird because I'm getting texts from Cornstock uh, that you're doing the next one. I don't I know. Say, yeah, right. I say never say never, uh-huh. um, but there are so many people that it takes all working their hardest to make this come together 
and coordinating all those schedules and people is such a challenge. And it, sure. I think it gets harder every year. Um, I have a big birthday coming up, and I'm thinking, well, maybe I'll just <laughs> play the old person roles in shows <laughs> and, and then not just direct them. Yeah. But um, I do like to direct. So at this point, I'm going to say this probably is my swan song with musicals. Wow. But um, it's a good one to go out on. Mm. I, I like how you said specifically with musicals because they obviously do other shows at the Cornstock Theater they too. Do. So musicals more stressful as a director than I think. <laughs> oh, much more so because you add so many more elements mm-hmm. to it, and so gotcha. comedies and dramas are a little easier to do. At least I found, but I, I find I work on them just as hard as I would a musical. Yeah. Okay. Well, great. Well, thank you both so much for the time. Before I, I always forget this, the Cornstock has unique food vendors or other things for the shows. Do you guys know who those are for this one? Um, we know. I think it's El Zarpe. It's the Mexican. Uh, truck. I had their food when I went out to see a show, Sister Act, earlier in the summer. It's great food. Cool. I'd suggest that people get there at 6 because mm-hmm. everything's freshly made and they have really good desserts. Plus, we have the snow cone place and the popcorn place. It's really a carnival atmosphere. One thing I wanted to stress, if it says the temperature is 90 degrees outside that day, it will not be 90 when you get to the tent. It'll be a lovely <laughs> evening. And yes. the best thing <laughs> I've hoped for is that we're going to have beautiful weather, it looks like. Yeah. And we may have a little rain, and I love when people call and say, are you still having the show? That's why it's in a tent. Yep. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, calling off the Titanic show because of rain feels wrong. Uh, right. The Titanic shows from the 4th to the 12th, Cornstock Theater, the fancy way to spell it, re.com, uh, to get some tickets. Uh, thank you both uh, for joining me in studio. We chatted with Eric, who is the director of the show, and with Sarah Allen, uh, one of the performers in the show. And, uh, well, did you see the Columbia College <laughs> shirt she has on, the sweatshirt? Columbia College yeah. is a fine institution of higher learning, yeah. even if you, I, and Ken Zersky have all been there yeah. at some point or another. Our traffic guy, I forgot, Ken also went there. The thing i got to tell you, though, Will, and I know she can't hear you, she doesn't have headphones on, uh-huh. uh, she didn't go there. She's rocking the shirt. <laughs> well, you I know, know, we're all happy shirt. about it. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. There we go. It was, the it was ex- to kiss up to all of us. That was it. <laughs> That's all the extra money the college gets out of me is for a shirt. Awesome, dude. All right, quick break, a lot more. Thank you both. 1470, 100. 1470. 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. I want to talk a little bit about a press release we got from Bradley in just a second, um, and not necessarily specifically about Bradley. I actually think that this is probably a trend we're going to see a lot of places uh, with a lot of um, college education um, um, industry type uh, things. Uh, I'm just I'm curious because I've been talking to uh, people the age of those who would go to college. And more and more people aren't going. Uh, these would be nieces, nephews, family members who want to take a year off. I actually, I, I was talking to somebody over lunch uh, with my wife the other day. Uh, or no, actually, this was somebody at the VFW, I think. Um, and they were talking about how their, their niece uh, didn't want to go to college, like really wanted to go and then didn't want to go and then eventually decided to go to college. And I think there's a couple of reasons that's happening. But that's coming up in a second. I don't want to talk about that first. I'll tell you what the press releases, all that stuff. Uh, but first, I do want to do this. I do think this is interesting. Uh, this is Fox's coverage of uh, some uh, new information that's come out in the world of Hunter Biden. And then I love because uh, they always say that you, you push the goalposts, you, you move them, you do whatever you can. Uh, you say one thing for as long as you possibly can say it in the world of politics, certainly in the world of democratic politics. And then when you finally get caught in the lie, when that lie doesn't work anymore, you just you slide things a little bit further down, down the line as much as you possibly can. Uh, I'll demonstrate that in a second. But first, uh, here is the audio that I think is valuable as far as the newest information goes. 
this now, Jillian. This is intriguing to our viewers at home. Archer tells the House investigators that Hunter Biden put then-VP Biden on a speakerphone more than 20 times to sell, quote, the brand, in parentheses, in business conversations. And Chad goes on to say that Archer testified that there was a value of adding Hunter Biden to Burisma's board, uh, was the brand. Burisma is the energy company out of Ukraine. Uh, the argument was that then-Vice President Joe Biden brought the most value to the brand. There's that phrase yet again. Archer also stated that Burisma would have gone under if not for the brand. Wow. In December. Wow. If not for the brand. Wait, what was the brand again? Uh, what do we call the brand? By the way, Archer, uh, the thing he's saying there, he's referencing uh, Devin Archer, who told the House Oversight Committee uh, today uh, that he is a former business partner of Hunter Biden and that they sold. And this is actually how I think um, Devin Archer described it. The illusion of working with Hunter Biden or excuse me, working with the uh, then vice president or uh, transitioning and now the president of the United States, uh, President Biden. Uh, here's what I think is fascinating about this, because I know a lot of people don't believe this to be true. And I, I'm not saying I believe it to be true either, that um, the president had no idea any of the business dealings, any of the information of what Hunter Biden had going on, because apparently he got on a speakerphone a bunch of times. Uh, but what I think um, the least valuable explanation could possibly be is the one that Democrats are throwing out there now, uh, which is that um, Joe Biden didn't involve himself in the dealings of his son. He knew about them. He was aware of them. Actually, this audio is the, the uh, changing of the goalposts uh, where you have a Democrat saying it's sort of preposterous to think that Biden never would have spoken to a president Biden, then vice president or, you know, obviously politically still powerful person when not in office. Uh, it's ridiculous that he wouldn't have spoken to these people, these business partners of Hunter. He didn't talk to them about business stuff, but he probably said hi in the hallway or hi on the phone or hi during the speaker uh, conference call. He, he probably did at least that. Doesn't that contradict the president's statement saying that he never talked to any of Hunter Biden business associates? Clearly he talked, whether about the weather or whatever, but he said specifically that he's never talked to them. Doesn't this contradict me? I, I don't know what his comment is, and <laughs> if we're going to – well, I don't, I don't think that's what he said. Yeah, he didn't even say that. I don't know what his comments are, but I also don't think he said that. How can you not know and know? He never said that he has never spoken to anyone. He's never said he that. He said that he had nothing to do <laughs> right. with Hunter Biden's business dealings. Mm. If he says hello to someone <laughs> that he sees his son yeah. with – well, is he supposed to say, hi, son? Oh, no, I'm not going to say hello to the other people at the table. Or the yes, he's supposed to say that if he's sitting as the vice president or as our president or any uh, form in between. And the person that's sitting down at the table with your son is a uh, Ukrainian energy company <laughs> executive. Yes, you're probably supposed to ignore those people. Uh, but what I love about this is, yeah, he said hi. Yeah, he was friendly, but he didn't investigate any more than that. He left Hunter to do his own things. So if we're to actually believe the whole story here, it actually makes our current president look way worse. Uh, terrible, in fact, if we actually listen to the way in which it's being shaped by Democrats, because you have a son that you know that went through a whole bunch of drug things, uh, cocaine addiction and whatnot. You have a son that you had to know because uh, you left him voicemails about how up and down his life was, was doing a lot of other dangerous things. And then you had a son who was also asking to fly on Air Force Two with you and then disappearing for a few days if you have no idea where he is or what he's up to. And then eventually uh, he pops up and he's like, oh, yeah, I was hanging out with these people from uh, this Chinese company or this Ukrainian company. And you never investigate it. How... Um, 
stupid do you have to be as a person, as a politician, as somebody in significant power roles as Biden was in to just let all that go, to just to turn the other eye? Uh, being that willing to ignore what's going on under your nose is actually worse than just lying about your corruption. So I love the fact that this is the Democratic defense of all of these things that are being talked about, about Hunter and his business dealings and the tax problems that he's been having and whatnot else that's been going on uh, there is that uh, our president, vice president or a guy obviously still politically powerful in the image because they, they act like when he's a private citizen, he'd have no political sway whatsoever. And of course he would. Of course, companies might even be trying to buy that influence as a former vice president or someone who may run inevitably to be the president of the country. Uh, but I love that fact, too. Uh, but the simple truth of this is that um, if we're to believe everything Democrats say the way they say it, then our president is an even bigger idiot than he seems to be when he speaks because he willingly allowed uh, a very, um, you know, uh, troubled family member to do a lot of things with his name and just ignored it, just didn't even check in to be like, oh, hey, that's weird. I got on that conference call with you and those energy executives from Ukraine you didn't tell them that they could buy influence from me at all. Did you did you mention that uh, that would be the version of a person where to believe that our president is not. He didn't even check. He just said hi to who's ever on the phone, bumbled into the corner, got lost somewhere. I've seen versions of this, but it's actually the most disrespectful uh, way in which Hunter could have treated his father uh, as well. And if um, uh, Joe Biden allowed that to happen or was unaware of that, he doesn't deserve to be a president. I don't know if he deserves to have any sort of job anywhere uh, and that he's been doing that for so long. It's just crazy. Uh, one last time, I don't mean to rant on it and I will move on, uh, that that's the better scenario for Democrats, uh, that our president, uh, vice president, uh, whoever he was uh, during part of that time period was just blissfully unaware, purposefully so, of what was going on. All right. I've repeated it enough times. Let's move on to this. Uh, this is um, uh, Rand Paul discussing how Dr. Fauci lied to Congress, how he will be going after Dr. Fauci, uh, because a, a new email has come out uh, that seems to demonstrate that Dr. Fauci was not only worried about the gain-of-function research going on uh, in China, but um, uniquely so in then uh, the way in which he represented it both to television screens and then in sworn statements to Congress uh, very much differs from the information being provided via these emails that say that he had a heightened suspicion about whether or not the lab that we were paying uh, part of the or a lot of funding for their research done there uh, was the one that created COVID. Here's uh, part of Senator Paul's statement. Yeah, I, I did actually want to quickly get your reaction to those that news. We're learning that so many people involved in proximal origins paper now had private um, uh, concerns that it very much could have been a lab leak. Uh, and obviously, you know, they have the right to change their minds. As, you, as we're discussing, they have free speech rights. But if they misled Congress or, you know, at the direction of Dr. <laughs> By the way, hold, misled on, hold, Congress, on, hold on, hold on, buddy. Uh, by the way, I love the fact that he's like, they have free speech rights, man. They can change their mind at any point after they say something under oath. Maybe they go a different direction and everything's totally fine. We all have free speech rights. It's totally fine. Is there going to be any consequence for that? So Fauci meets in early February, February 1st, with a group of prominent uh, virologists from around the world. In private, they all were telling him, we think it came from the lab. It looks like it's been genetically manipulated. It looks like it came from the lab. It's not a fringe theory. It's not a conspiracy theory. We think it's the most likely cause, but we think it'll be damaging to the business of science. We think it'll be damaging to the relations with China. So I bring Fauci before my committee, 
or he's brought before the committee, and I ask him, did you fund gain-of-function research in Wuhan? He says, absolutely, unequivocally, he never funded gain-of-function research in Wuhan. Well, now we have an email from him summarizing a phone call from February 1st of 2020. He summarized the phone call by saying, many people are suspicious that this came from the lab because it looks manipulated. We're particularly suspicious because we know in that lab they're doing gain-of-function research. Now, he was trying to wiggle out of this with me by saying, oh, it's not gain-of-function. Here we have him in private admitting that it's gain-of-function. Okay, so here's here's the problem with all of this uh, again. And for so long, I actually said on this very radio station and other ones uh, that I didn't think that Dr. Anthony Fauci was operating politically. Uh, and I still don't know if I, I do believe that politics, conservative versus Republican, is the reason why Fauci operated the way he did. And for the most part, when I talked about whether it be the mask wearing or whatever else, uh, my assumption uh, with Fauci, uh, not that he was a great guy. I'm not trying to defend at the altar of Dr. Anthony Fauci, uh, but I I thought that he was uh, acting as though he knew things he didn't know because he was arrogant, because he was uh, the type of doctor uh, who gets in the position he gets in uh, by believing that he is science, excuse me, incarnate, something he actually said himself. Uh, But all this proof. Uh, demonstrates that what he was really doing was trying to protect the big giant paycheck, uh, the financial machine that existed around him. Uh, Whether that machine is politics or not, I guess, is your own uh, assumption, your own personal feeling about it. Uh, But to me, uh, what's what's sort of glaring about it or jarring in what um, uh, Rand Paul says is um, that it sounds very similar to the NBA or to anything else that cowers to China because of the financial money, the financial gain, the benefit business to business uh, that exists. It's the reason that some movies change certain things so that the uh, Chinese government won't ban it. So all of this, according to, to Rand Paul, all of these lies that Fauci told and the way in which he misrepresented the truth he should have known or did know uh, was really just because a big giant paycheck, uh, not necessarily even for him specifically, but I'm sure uh, he can. I know that uh, Rand Paul went after him a lot there, too. Uh, but the the industry or the world of science gained uh, by him not admitting that the lab leak made a whole lot of sense to a whole lot of people. It's just sort of profound. I, I sometimes think when we use the, the enemy, the, the big boogeyman that is uh, the political machine or the deep state or whatever you want to call it, uh, that sometimes if that doesn't seem to be a, a perfect demonstration of what's going on, uh, people tune out. People uh, walk away. There, there's people who believe something, and then there's people who, who won't accept it, refuse to accept it. And that, that moment where you lose somebody, uh, to me, is most likely because proof isn't perfect. There's not good enough receipts. Uh, this feels like we're getting a lot more of the receipts into the world of Dr. Anthony Fauci and what he didn't didn't say during COVID. And anyone that knew for uh, a year or two now uh, that he was someone who was corrupt and not on the up and up, I, I applaud. I, I you know, um, uh, definitely tip my hat. Uh, but I always want to wait for the, the information. And so now it feels like it's an unignorable thing uh, where you have these definitive examples of the gain of function research references, et cetera, et cetera. And so I I just I'm sort of amazed that this probably won't be a bigger news story. And I think part of the reason why and I'm not trying to point the finger a certain direction here uh, is that when you raise enough red flags without the proof and you yell about something without the proof for long enough, uh, people start to tune out because of the thing I just said, because the proof's not quite there yet. And then when the proof finally comes out, it's too late. 
everyone that tuned out before, Hunter Biden's a great example, just continues to tune out even as more and more detail and information seems to be damaging beyond damaging uh, in the world of this person or that person. Uh, Fauci is now in the hot seat uh, and has been on the hot seat, I know, for a while for a lot of people. Uh, but he's now in the hot seat in a very different way. And I'll be uh, very um, disappointed but not surprised if this is something you don't hear about a whole lot of places. A quick break, a lot more, 1470, 100.3, WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. 1470, 100.3, WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. Uh, thrilled to have you with us. Lots of stuff to talk about, as I always say. I think this is kind of silly. Um, a neighbor in New Jersey lost their ice cream truck after one person got annoyed by the music and called to complain. Uh, then other neighbors complained about the complainer, so the truck is now back. That's my favorite second part there. Uh, Mr. Softy Truck, uh, which is awesome ice cream, by the way, was driving around playing its jingle like it does. And one person got all salty, uh, went on social media, I guess, and got salty, and then made the phone call all salty. Um, that's that's a very bah humbug human uh, to be mad about the music that the ice cream machine plays or the ice cream truck plays uh, because to me it brings back joy. A whole lot of joy, especially joy about being a kid and chasing after said ice cream truck or being an adult and telling you at the radio station, uh, my listeners, that I did this a month ago. And I, if you didn't hear that story, I did it with like a kid in the neighborhood a few uh, yards away from me, like a good distance, like 30 yards away from me. And so he was thrilled, uh, this little kid that I chased the truck better than he did because it might have gotten away, man. But I was there. I was all over it. And I got my uh, Sonic Ice Pop. And I believe I got something for Betty. I don't remember what it was, uh, but I was very happy. And so even now, I would still never be sad. I, I think there's some audio uh, for this story, too, about the ice cream truck and all the craziness. Um, and a man in the area and vice president of Mr. Softy are both heard on this. Somebody was complaining about the music, and so Mr. Softy's not going to come down our street no more. If it's too late, if it's past, like, you know, 10 o'clock at night, then we're like, okay, that's way too late. It's waking people up. But sometimes it could be uh, 2, 3 o'clock in the afternoon where, oh, you're waking up my sleeping baby. Well, it's like, hey, well, <laughs> there's 40 other kids in the neighborhood that are running around yes. and, and want ice cream. And one adult man in his mid to late 30s uh, that's definitely looking for some sweet, sweet ice cream and chasing the truck. I love the fact that I keep admitting that because it, it worked out well, uh, although a part of my brain as I was running was thinking, I really hope nobody notices uh, that I'm doing this right now. And then I, I talk about it on the radio anyway. Uh, but yeah, that, that's a Bahumbug human and a Bahumbug story, to say the least. Uh, other stuff out there uh, that I thought was interesting. Uh, this went viral. Uh, this audio wound up a lot of places. Um, it's a little kid. Uh, must be, you know, two years old or so, uh, this little boy. Uh, they say he just started to learn to walk. So that shows how well I understand when kids start to learn to walk. But but around that age, right, I'm getting this part right. Anyway, uh, the toddler sees his grandfather at the airport, yells, Papa, I'm coming, and just takes off, just shoots out uh, like a, a, a dog that's just been freed from the house. And what I love about this is, and I've, I've heard this from a lot of people, um, is how quickly kids go from not mobile to very, very mobile. And then all of a sudden you have to keep your eye on them constantly because they could just be gone. And if they weren't taping uh, grandpa returning from the airport after, I think, two months of uh, the kid not being able to see his grandfather and uh, the kid not being able to walk, too, uh, that he is there. And then this all happens. 
All right, the audio is nowhere near as good as the video. I'll acknowledge that right after I play just the audio on the air. But here, we'll do the uh, first part again. That's all he says. He sees his grandfather, and he yells, I'm coming, and he takes off, and he's he's gone. He's in the wind, and it's uh, quite amazing to watch, and it's quite adorable, and uh, a lot of people are very, very happy. All right, one other thing, and I'll play this audio, too, as like an audio-only segment, I guess, uh, before we get to the news, and then we'll get uh, back to more stories of the day. Uh, this is two women who got in a fight in England at the Barbie movie. Uh, I don't know what happened to to start this one. There was one in Brazil where, like, a woman wouldn't stop um, her kid who was on a, a laptop or a, uh, an iPad or something uh, from, like, playing games and making noises and annoying everybody in the theater. But that's not that's not this one. This is a, a new fight in a new Barbie theater, and this one in England, not in Brazil. And some, some slapping happens. Some real fighting goes down. You can hear the slapping. Okay, here's what I don't understand. And, and you just decide, whoever you are, for whatever reason you want. Uh, the people recording this video are obviously finding this hilarious and laughing as two women are yelling at each other and then slapping each other in the face. There was shouting. There was pushing. A lot of things were happening. Uh, that's the world we live in now, uh, people. It's the end of the Seinfeld TV series come to life, and everyone does it, where you don't help people. You just uh, watch from afar, maybe record, and definitely enjoy it. And that, that probably shouldn't have been as enjoyable as it was uh, for them. Although the fighting, it doesn't look like anyone was permanently damaged. So may maybe there was uh, some level of, of humor. I don't know. Uh, but two women get in a fight, uh, Barbie movie, dividing some and dividing some significantly. Again, as I said, the uh, video viral out of Brazil from just a week or so ago. Also a sh uh, throw down, shove down match uh, within a Barbie theater. I still haven't seen the movie. Uh, my wife and I didn't go. Uh, but if they can guarantee me a hockey style fight at some point, Within the theater, I think I'm way more likely to be there. 1470, 100.3, WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. Lots and lots of stuff, as I always say, to talk about. Uh, let's do this. Let's talk over here uh, about former President Donald Trump. Uh, what I think is very interesting, uh, and has been interesting probably the entire time of, of this run uh, for uh, Donald Trump to the office of the White House, is not just all the different attacks that are happening in the world of the Justice Department, or you might think like rightfully uh, going after um, Trump. Uh, I've said, and I'll say this from the outstretch here, just again, just to keep saying it, uh, that I think that any of this should have happened after this election cycle, uh, because then you couldn't be accused of trying to do it for the sole purpose of preventing him uh, from winning the office of president. Uh, you couldn't be accused of, of tampering with our election. Uh, if you waited just until after that, then at least at that point, uh, you would have other stuff uh, going on uh, that you could talk about instead. But but here's what I want to do is I want to um, uh, cover a little bit of CNN data guru uh, Harry Enton's uh, version of information that he put out in the world uh, because uh, this guy uh, is saying – and here's a quote from something he published over the weekend. Remember, CNN guy, not exactly a Trump fan. Uh, Trump is not only in a historically strong position for a non-incumbent to win the Republican nomination, but he is in a better position to win the general election than at any point during the 2020 cycle and almost any point during the 2016 cycle, uh, meaning he's doing as well as he's ever done in any polling, even polling against 
uh, Biden, uh, not just polling against other Republicans. And what I what I'm, I guess I'm trying to get to is uh, there are so many people that just refuse this information to be true. Uh, whether those are Republicans that would like to see one, someone else uh, win the nomination or Democrats that think it's preposterous and ridiculous uh, that Trump could wind up back in the White House. And that's the, the focal point of, I think, a lot of that problem and how this is talked about, how this is spoken about Trump derangement syndrome people and others uh, or people who love uh, the former president. Is it so easy uh, to find so many different examples of people just refusing the data itself And so I'm happy that a guy at CNN was willing to at least put it out there and say it. And here's a little bit of Trump audio. And then after this, I will transition and we'll do uh, something else. My wife is going to be in studio. We're going to do the word of the day and stuff and move away from politics. But I just want to play this to wrap this point. Uh, Trump bragged about how well he's doing in the polls. I'm sure most people saw this or didn't see this and just wrote it off as not true. It is actually true, according to CNN. In the newest echelon poll of swing states, we're trouncing Biden by seven points. In the big new premise poll, we're beating Biden 43-39, while DeSantis is losing to Biden 33-38. In other polls, I'm leading Biden by six, seven, eight, and 11 points, while DeSantis is losing to Biden in all cases. I wouldn't take a chance on that one. I'm leading we'll take a chance in that one. Uh, DeSantis, of course, his a nickname for Ron DeSantis that he just keeps using. But he, he kept going on and on. I think the main criticism, even in conservative media of Trump at the Lincoln Day dinner in Iowa, is that he was low energy. Uh, but you have to be honest, if you or someone, anyone, it doesn't matter if you're Trump, uh, who is polarizing to a lot of people or, or anyone else out there in the world, when you're doing this well in poll after poll after poll against Republicans and against Biden, I don't know if you need uh, to ramp up the energy, and I don't think he'll even be a part of uh, the first real Republican debate. Uh, he said something about how he might watch it to see who he wants to be as vice presidential candidate. Didn't say anything about uh, how he will participate in it. All right, let's move on. Let's do other stuff for a bit. My wife, Betty, is in studio uh, for the Spanish word of the day. How are you doing, Betty? Uh, hi, Greg. Okay. <laughs> a lot of politics talk right before I turn on your microphone, yes? Yes. Yes, so how are you? How was your day? How was all the work? Good. My energy is kind of like in like between. Like Trump, it's down. You, 50, got, you, got, you 40, got low energy. It's a Monday, so I'm gotcha. trying to, and I lower my level of uh, caffeine intake, so I Ooh. think I got to like. Why'd you do that? Uh, well, because I don't know. I've been drinking a lot of coffee. But I think uh, it's not a good idea, especially on Monday. Well, you've said that to me before, and then you even tried to give up coffee one time, and that uh, giving up coffee lasted two well, days. Baby steps, <laughs> baby steps. No, I, I, well, you, hey, whatever you want to do, I'm supporting you, Betty. I'm I'm the husband who's in support. Yeah. But I remember at the end of the two days of trying to totally give up coffee, you said some stuff. Yeah. And that stuff was how you never wanted to go through that well, again. Well, maybe you use a Monday is not a yeah. good idea to level my intake yeah. of caffeine. So did you have any today at all, or no? I have like a like a big big cup in the morning, morning and then that was it and then the, a second okay. one in the middle of the okay day. just two yes, then yes, just, just two. Two. That, that's yes, still less yes. for betty yeah, yeah that's still less so that's good i'm proud of you very good job <laughs> uh, well done uh some other stuff out there that i thought i would uh throw at you uh, the first one do you like drive-thrus drive-thrus uh, I prefer to go in. Everywhere we go. Yes. Anywhere we go, you yeah. want to go in. Uh, there was a stat I talked to, I think, Eric from the VFW last week about it. I saw it still bouncing around a lot on social media, uh, that more than half of people avoid restaurants in the United States if they don't have a drive through If we can't stay in our car, ask for the food into the microphone uh, in the, or in the speaker box, and then go across and, and pick up the food, all without getting out of our vehicle, we don't like to go. But you, I remember early on even in dating you, 
like you'd be like, let's just pull in and go in, no matter what the place is. <laughs> yeah. And then you're very sneaky. Even when I want to go home, you're like, let's just sit down and eat it here. Yes. And then eventually I'm eating at all the different fast food restaurants we go to because yeah, yeah. you just like it. You you want the food as, as soon as it's done. You want to eat it, which makes sense. And you don't you don't want to be in the car for anything. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know me. I'm a very impatient person. So no, I don't not? know if that's true. Well, no, for drive-thrus, yes. Yes. Yes, for drive-thrus, yeah. yeah. Right. I, I when if I see like a six or a seven cars in, in mm-hmm. a line, I'm like, ah, no. And by the way, you have a Betty phrase for that, too. What do you call that when you see a whole bunch of cars at one store? On demand. That's an on-demand yes, situation. Yes, an on-demand situation. Yes. You'll yeah. look at me and you'll be like, yes, oh, man, that I Wendy's is on demand. <laughs> yes. 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 Especially Wendy's, every single time that we drive by, the one out it's near always Target. crowded. Yeah, I don't yes. know what's going on there. I don't know what they put in their food. Yeah, I don't know. Because no. people are very on-demand yeah, in that spot all the time. Yeah, it's very tasty, <laughs> yes. I don't know. It could be, have a secret could be illegal. Uh, but you don't care about that at all. You love the no drive through move. Yes, I don't. Yeah. Why do you think that is other than just like the impatient thing you said you you like sitting and eating yeah yeah Yeah. i just like to be there take my time and like just enjoy my coffee especially Mm -hmm. if it is like a starbucks you're only gonna have one if you're only gonna have one or two coffees a day now (laughs) too yes you gotta enjoy it more well i've been doing like a great job after my trip from mexico Mm -hmm. i told you craig i'm done with starbucks and i'm Mm -hmm. probably having just like a couple of starbucks after my trip which is been like a month and a half or almost two months already. Yes, yes. So I think I'm, I'm doing great. I think you're doing great. Uh, here, let me ask you some other things. There was also a viral list of things that we do every day that people just accept as normal that if you think about them a little more are weird. Uh, and let's see if you think that these are weird. Giving somebody a balloon, uh, they said, is weird because if you think about it a little bit more, it's just a piece of plastic that you uh, breathed into until it inflated. <laughs> yes. You put it on a stick and you hand it to someone. Yeah. So if you said, here's a plastic sack of my breath while well, you were handing it to somebody, <laughs> oh it doesn't God. sound as good. No, okay, no. Right. That sounds so that, that's gross, weird. yes. Uh, ties being the standard for business attire. Why Why does putting on a tie make us feel more businessy than not wearing a tie? Well, that's pretty interesting. I, I like bow ties on my You hand. do like not I don't wear them, though. Yeah, you I don't, don't wear yeah, but I no. like bow ties. You do? Yes. But you like me in a tie, though, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. They, 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 men especially, they look very, very professional. I think I the mean, only I reason that I like the, the suit and tie is I think I'm James Bond. Every time I put a suit on is I all of a sudden think that I could, you know, stop a crime, yes. that I could get in a very fancy car. That's yeah. the attitude I get. Yeah. I want. Uh, and you walk super fast in front of me. <laughs> and no, I, 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 no, that's not true. <laughs> I walk and then I stop. Uh, by the way, you were walking super fast today. Today, yes. yes. I was like, I'm going to be correct speed today. You were making fun of me, and you were walking <laughs> way faster. <laughs> yeah. And you were, I saw you were opening your legs more. My little legs. Yes. Like trying to right. like, be tall person. Because you don't walk very fast. No. And I've told you that I think it's just because you don't spread your legs And I enough. even was moving my, my arms, and yep. I told you that. Throwing them both in the oh, air. Oh, my mom. Like, she walks like that. Mm-hmm. And she and when like she a got march. like a, yes. Yeah. When she got her hair struck, one of her uh, arms, arms doesn't move yes, as much anymore. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, she said that one of her, and that's that's her wing. You call yes, that right? Yes. Yeah. She called her her wing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's a bird's wing for you. Uh, other things, cards. They say don't make sense. Why do we take little pieces of paper, write in them for ten seconds, and give them to somebody, somebody who's not going to save them? That's that's not a good way to do things. Well, I have a pile of cards. You, you do. You know that. Yes, you yes. save all your cards. I save all my cards. I have cards for, since forever, since I was like twelve or something. You know, it's actually funny too. Uh, what I, I love very much about that is you pull out cards. That
that you gave me that yeah. you saved, yeah. and you, you get me to like cry about like, how nice you were. Do you remember this? Because <laughs> <laughs> you also write a bunch of stuff in cards. Yes, I do. Not everybody does, but Betty no, does. I, Betty writes a yeah. lot of things. Yeah. And and you are right. There's a lot of people that they don't really like pay a lot of attention on cards, but I take my time. Writing Another cards. one that they say is weird that we some people do. Will Stevenson does this because he has a cat. We don't do it. Uh, buying litter, buying stuff that cats poop in. Why do we need the litter stuff, the the stuff that goes into the litter box? To kill the smell. Yeah, well, I know. But, like, why why are we buying special dirt for that? Oh, yeah. Could we just I, buy I regular actually, dirt? I agree. You can go and dig with a hole <laughs> yeah. in your backyard. That's what and they say. Yes, that's, that's okay. true. That's and a good point. And then one last one that's weird, according to uh, a list of just threads on online, acknowledging when other people sneeze. When someone sneezes, having to say salute or God bless you or something, <laughs> we could yes. just ignore it. We could just let it go. We don't uh, say the same with a cough or anything. Yeah, with a yeah. Sneeze, it's we... interesting. Okay. It's so you agree with all those? Yeah, yeah. I got you. All yeah. right. Um, <laughs> what else do you have today? What's the word of the day for us, Betty? Well, uh, let's say today, concentrarse. You're thinking of it right now. Yes. You just thought of it in this moment. Yes, concentrarse. Okay. okay. I'm not going to say it. I'm going to tell everybody what this is. Spanish word of the day is where Betty comes in. I talk to her about dumb stuff. I think that's what I do with you. I just say silly stuff, and you react to it. And then at the end, you teach us Spanish one word at a time. Yeah. And when we first started doing this bit over a month ago, the most popular thing on my show, <laughs> you brought in a little piece of paper. Piece of you paper, had a whole bunch yes, of research. Yes. You were getting very, very well, fancy about it. My level of energy is like <laughs> down. You're still killing it. I mean, you're still knowledge of Spanish because you speak it fluently. It's your native language. So yeah. the word of today, today is catarse. Concentrarse. Con- <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> okay. Concentraste. No, no, no. Okay. I'm, this, is gonna, this is a very tough one. All right. Concentrarse. 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 I think I'm doing it right. I think I got it right. What does that word mean? Focus. Like Focus. pay attention. <laughs> Concentrarse. I don't know if it is like a, like a similar word in Concentration. English. Concentration. Yes, yeah. concentrarse. That's exactly what it means. Yes, yeah. I got you. I yeah, totally you got, got it. it. Am yeah. I good at concentrarse? <laughs> Uh, sometimes, yes, you are pretty good. But most of the time? Uh, no, you actually very distracted. I get very distracted yes, a lot. Okay. Yes. All right. So I got to work on that. Yeah. I got to work on how I pronounce and then also how concentration, I use my concentration. Okay, perfect. <laughs> yes. I said that better. Yeah, you said that easier. better. All yes. Right. Uh, well, quick break. A lot more. Thank you, Betty, for coming in, You're chatting, welcome, Craig. and giving us the Spanish word of the day yeah. that you definitely prepared. Yeah. All day. <laughs> no. You definitely worked I was on just, it. What, what should I say? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Uh, quick break. A lot more. 1470, 100.3. WMBD. 1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. Uh, before my wife, uh, Betty, gave us the word of the day, concentrarse. I think I said it wrong again. Uh, that is the Spanish word of the day. I was talking a little bit about uh, the former president, President Trump. Uh, he spoke at a Lincoln Day dinner in uh, Iowa. Uh, some of the things he said just about basic poll numbers uh, are very true, even according to a data guru from CNN uh, who went viral over the weekend for putting it out there, uh, describing Trump as in a very, very strong position uh, to not only win the Republican nomination, but end up back in the White House by any polling data looked at right now. And yes, this is after all the indictments and things have happened. Uh, one other piece of audio I did want to play of Trump, one of the other brags um, that was thrown out there by him, again, in a, in a somewhat of a, a lower energy um, um, showing for him uh, and other politicians, other Republican potential uh, nominees for the president, uh, like Ron DeSantis, were also at this. Um, but he said how he flipped a whole lot of counties 
that voted twice for Barack Obama that wound up voting for uh, Trump. Uh, there is an unheralded aspect of the amount of, of success he's had uh, in some places and some uh, demographics uh, that others have not had and might have again, too, especially when he runs on uh, certain um, uh, platforms that are very agreed upon uh, by um, a lot of people who might not always vote Republican, who might uh, sometimes, you know, flip flop vote Republican or Democrat. One of those things, and I've said this a bunch in my show, is people who believe the government is not really doing anything to help us. Uh, if you just look at the data, uh, eight out of 10, I think it's uh, Democrats and nine out of 10 Republicans say the government is no longer aiding us. That is a, a simple piece of the messaging uh, from uh, the former president. But here's a little more. In the newest echelon poll of swing states, we're trouncing Biden by seven points. In the big new premise poll, we're beating Biden 43-39, while DeSantis is losing to Biden 33-38. In other polls, I'm leading Biden by 6, 7, 8, and 11 points, while DeSantis is losing to Biden in all cases. I wouldn't take a chance on that one. <laughs> I'm leading in the primary polls by 50 and 55 percent against him and others. And a poll just came out where I'm leading in Iowa. We love Iowa by 34 points. I'm leading in New Hampshire by 35 points. And I'm leading in South Carolina by over 30 points. And that's with two politicians running, as you know, from South Carolina, leading by substantially more than 30 points. And a poll just came out a few minutes before I got up here. And in Ohio, the great state of Ohio, we're leading by 52 points and beating, beating Biden by 10 points. That's what we have to do. I'm the only Republican to win Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania in more than 30 years, and you have to win them. Nationwide, we flipped 200 counties that voted twice for Barack Hussein Obama, including an astounding 31 counties right here in Iowa. These now, look, uh, there's a lot of people who uh, will hate the former president, no matter what he does, no matter what he says, uh, no matter how he carries himself uh, now after everything that he's said and done uh, in the past. Now, I'm not saying that, that Trump was in any way, shape or form a, a perfect politician. I don't want anyone listening to the show to be like, wow, uh, this guy is such a hardcore uh, Trump supporter. Uh, I know that they're out there and I'm not, um, you know, telling you how to live your life, uh, but I'm, I'm not one of you. I'm not someone who is a Trump or nobody uh, kind of person. Uh, but when you give a minute 20 um, presentation or a minute 20 of the speech uh, about all these different ways in which you're doing so, so well, and so many people just get upset at the idea of that, I think, again, that's part of the reason why uh, there are so many people that get mad at each other. Uh, when talking about this stuff that just don't pay attention to the actual data itself and how that indicates what uh, public sentiment actually is, or at least what conservative sentiment is. Uh, one other thing I wanted to play also sort of in reference to this is uh, Will Hurd getting booed as he says that Trump is a guy that uh, really should uh, not be running because he's running for selfish reasons. Uh, it was interesting to hear the Iowa crowd react to this. One of the things we need in our elected leaders for them to tell the truth, even if it's unpopular. Donald Trump is not running for president to make America great again. Donald Trump is not running for president to represent the people that voted for him in 2016 and 2020. Donald Trump is running to stay out of prison. And if we elect... 
I know, I know, I know. I know, I know. You all hate me now. Everybody hates me now. No, man, I don't think you know. Uh, if you uh, had known, you might not have said it the way you just did. Uh, but I think that that's interesting because, again, I think there's there's so much – and we're just getting started in the world of political theater and uh, presidential run of 2024 and certainly everything going on in the world of court cases and former President Trump. Um, but I think the best possible way to evaluate all this stuff is honestly is to just look at it. Just just pay attention to the data, the numbers, the information, and then assess it uh, realistically. Uh, even all the people that believe that the uh, past election was was fraudulent, it doesn't make it true or false. It just makes it a significant thing to talk about or to make sure you protect yourself uh, from being accused of, say, in a next election. Uh, these things all seem to make sense and matter uh, very, very much uh, to some, and for some reason, weirdly, uh, not to more. Uh, just one other thing, palate cleanser, if you will, uh, before we get to the top five at five, which is all the biggest stories, according to me, I just thought this was funny. And I know after all the Trump audio, maybe some people would need the palate cleanser. Maybe some don't. Uh, who knows? Uh, but um, a couple wore pajamas uh, for their wedding. They got married in Chicago. They're millennials. And they said they didn't care what people thought about them or how people reacted. Uh, they were comfortable. Uh, they loved it. Haters going to hate, hate, hate. I don't know if they actually quoted Taylor Swift. I think that's hilarious. I would not have done that. My wife would not have let me do that when we got married to each other to just wear uh, the old uh, PJs. Uh, but I think that's fine, I, especially post-COVID and so many people got used to dressing like this. I'm not at all surprised that a young couple got married uh, wearing pajamas. And actually, the whole family, all the other people dressed up like a regular wedding. So they didn't tell anybody about the dress code move they were making. They just made it. But I wouldn't judge you, is I guess what I'm saying to these two people. I would I would support you in your decision. I assume you serve breakfast food at the reception. That's an assumption I'm making. All right. 1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. It's the top five at five. Let's do the theme song for that. It's time for the top five at five on the Craig Collins Show. Thank you, sir. Yes, this is the five biggest news stories, according to me, in no particular order. I just do these as I see them. Uh, let's do uh, the first one, uh, being the business partner of Hunter Biden, who testified today in front of Congress. Uh, his name is uh, Devin Archer. Just threw something and broke it in the studio. I think we're fine. That was just a mouse that doesn't need to be uh, where it was. Uh, but Devin Archer said, and this was probably the biggest, most salacious part of the things revealed, uh, that he uh, used to be on a, a, um, uh, a speakerphone with Hunter Biden and that Joe Biden would get on said speakerphone as well uh, with some of the business partners, some of the people he spoke to. Uh, Democrats are trying to move the goalposts and say that, of course, he would be friendly. Uh, our president is a human being. Uh, he would say, hello, how are you doing? Jump on speakerphones uh, with people that Hunter was working with. But that doesn't mean that there's any sort of way in which the current president vice president or guy in between those political positions ever benefited, ever even knew what was going on. Uh, and so the first thing I wanted to do is play a supercut uh, from Tom Elliott, uh, the guy behind Grabian, who also put some awesome stuff up on social media, on Twitter, a uh, supercut of all the times Democrats said there is no evidence that uh, the president profited off of bribes uh, that were facilitated by his son. Uh, none whatsoever. How dare you even say this? How dare anyone think that it's even abnormal for him to jump on speakerphone phone calls? 
So far, they have been not able to prove any evidence here of wrongdoing. House GOP members continue to try and link Hunter's business dealings to the president, though they have yet to produce any concrete evidence. Now, it is important to keep in mind, while Republicans believe that there is a tie between Hunter Biden's business dealings and the president himself, they have yet to provide any hard evidence that the president himself has done anything wrong. House Republicans are going to accuse him. Uh, they are. They're going to make the accusation. They're going to accuse him of all sorts of stuff. Whether they have the evidence or not. Correct. <laughs> and Republicans have not tied None. the president, uh, Joe Dairy. Biden, to profiteering from them. Now, and look, here's the thing. You know what I find very funny about this is I'm actually also going to say I haven't seen the receipts of the, the hard evidence that shows that Biden, uh, the president of the United States, I know what I'm doing right now and what I was just mocking. And I know some people are laughing at the radio. Bear with me. There's a point to why I'm doing this. Hang in for an extra second. Have the patience to let me finish the point. Uh, but there is no hard evidence that's out there quite yet uh, that shows that Biden put the money in his own sweet, sweet pocket. Uh, it did, however, go into Hunter Biden's pocket and the pocket of several other family members in the Biden family. But the reason I say it the way I do and not the way that news media says it is this is more than enough information uh, to run after anything and everything in the world of the Republican Party to make assumptions, to tell you that the end is near uh, for the current president or the excuse me, the former president of the United States, uh, then actually the president uh, during Russia, Russia, Russia or whatever else it is. The fact that it's it, they're so quick to say. There's no evidence. There's no evidence. And so quick to say it looks like there's a lot going on behind the scenes, depending on who's in office, is probably more jarring, more important uh, than pointing out the fact as quickly as they do all the time uh, that we don't have a literal smoking gun yet. Although we do have a lot of things that feel like a smoking gun, we just don't have a tax receipt or, well, a bank statement, something that says the name Joe Biden on it and a bunch of money coming from a foreign company. Uh, although maybe, just maybe, they were smart enough not to do that if he did somehow profit. I don't know. I don't mean to throw something crazy out there, but maybe that's as far as they went in protecting him. Uh, getting on conference calls, no problem. Actually taking money into his own bank account, apparently that might have been where they drew the line. But I don't know for sure. I guess I'll, I'll put it out there, too. I, I want to play this, and I feel like it's sort of aligned with what I'm talking about right now as, to me, another top five story at five and something you are probably likely to hear, at least the way that Chuck Todd is presenting it on NBC and not the way I'm going to talk about it. Uh, but it's a brand new study that came out. I think Yale was among the schools involved uh, that said that looking at data from both Florida and Ohio uh, found that the amount of people uh, who lost their lives to COVID, especially after the vaccine became widely uh, available, uh, widely available, was much, much worse for Republicans than Democrats. I did the deep dive. I have the better information on it. And I promise you, you can look this up yourself and see it for anyone that distrusts me. But here's what they said on NBC First. Welcome back. Data download time. The official COVID-19 health emergency may be over. But this week, a scientific study published in the Journal of the American Medical Association revealed what many had suspected. Republicans who lagged behind in accepting the efficacy of the COVID vaccine paid a steeper price. Researchers from Yale examined 538,000 deaths in people 25 and older in Florida and Ohio from April 2020 to December 2021. And they found that the excess death rate, deaths beyond what would normally be expected, was 15% higher for registered Republicans than for Democrats. But after the vaccine became available in April of 2021 to a majority of the population, the death rate among Republicans 
was 43% higher. All right, so here we go, right there. If that's all you listen to, if that's all the information and the weird background music that's playing during it uh, that you hear, then you think, okay, definitive proof. Uh, Democrats got it right. Republicans got it wrong. Uh, Republicans are giant idiots, uh, I guess, might also run across your mind if you're someone who wants to go that road. Uh, But here's the actual truth, if you look at the data. And first, one point that matters, I think, uh, maybe as much as any other one, it says that it's Ohio and Florida that's being used to build this data set. But they actually say within the data set that Florida had almost no difference in the amount of COVID deaths post the vaccine availability between Republicans and Democrats. It was like point or it was like one percent, if that. Uh, So very, very little difference. So it's really just Ohio uh, that's giving them the giant disparity that they're using and reporting on. And yet, because the the study looked at both Florida and Ohio, Florida gets thrown in there. And of course, that's supposed to be a representation of Ron DeSantis and how he chose to handle uh, COVID. But the actual data uh, says that the the huge difference in Republican and uh, Democratic uh, lives lost after the vaccine became available. The huge difference is just Ohio. That that feels like it bears mentioning, uh, even if it's not going to be talked about on news media a lot of places. But if you actually look at the data, the thing that I found so uh, interesting is that the amount of what they called excess deaths uh, that happened by, for Democrats or people that they believed to be Democrats was about identical, 18.8 to 18.1. That's not a percentage. That's the amount of of deaths beyond the norm in the areas that they uh, studied. So unique communities throughout Ohio and Florida. And that number should have gone down if people were saying that the uh, vaccine specifically is the reason why Republicans uh, died and Democrats were saved. Then wouldn't we see more Democratic lives saved? We don't. We see an identical number, 18.8, 18.1. When you look at the Republican numbers, you see 19.4. And then after the vaccine becomes available, you see 25.8. So it, it jumps. So one way I could discuss this and all this data is the vaccine did nothing to protect lives. And for some reason, after the vaccine became available, Republicans died in greater numbers than had died before that. I don't know what that reason would be, but it's a weird data set because you would think if the if the vaccine was valuable um, and I'm not saying that I didn't think it was. uh, But if the vaccine was valuable, then you should have seen a, a decrease in in excess deaths and you didn't see it in either group. And so what I think is also interesting is the percentage in which uh, the data jumps up from 19 to 25 uh, is actually pretty similar to the amount of increased violence that exists throughout the country uh, in the amount of of uh, death that was occurring by uh, that violence uh, throughout the country. Again, um, the numbers are quite a bit bigger in 2021 than they were in 2020. And that's where the data sets are, are kind of separated. And so it's interesting because the Democratic number doesn't reflect that. It seems on par for some reason, even with a potential uptick in violence. The Republican number seems to reflect what may. And by the way, excess death wasn't confirmed as a covid death. It was just any person who passed away beyond the expected number of people that would have died in a given area, according to the researchers. So I find that very interesting. And then one other quick thing. I know it's a top five at five. I don't want to do a whole big rant. I did one at three o'clock. You can find it on the podcast about all this. Within the study itself, in the limitations section, right before their conclusion, the limitations that the researchers wrote were, our study has several limitations. First, there are plausible alternative explanations for the difference in excess death rates by political party affiliation beyond the 
explanatory role of vaccines discussed herein. Uh, Second, our mortality data, although detailed and recent, only included 83.5% of deaths in the U.S. and did not include uh, cause of death. Although overall excess death patterns in our data are similar to those in other reliable sources, it is possible that the deaths that are uh, missing from our study uh, would wind up disproportionately adding to numbers and making our study bias. I'm paraphrasing at the end there, but they they said all that within the study that then gets uh, presented on national television as definitive proof that somebody was wrong and somebody was right. And to be honest, I'm not on the radio right now trying to convince you that you made the wrong decision. That's not the point. I got the vaccine. Was it the right decision? I don't know about that. But I got it. I got three of the shots. My point is that all of this information, all of this data and the way it's presented, it it seems sort of intent to continue to divide us, to have someone who's sitting at home watching that NBC news story and is left-leaning and being like, see, it was a vaccine or a pandemic of of Republicans, of conservatives, of, of idiots. And then you have somebody else sitting at home thinking, wait a minute, I don't know if this story checks out. And if you just look at the data, it it doesn't. So I, I just don't understand why all of these things happen the way they do. And they seem so so destined to separate us more. Uh, that's really my complaint, not telling you what you did was right or wrong. It's over. You can't take it back for better or for worse. Um, although I'm not telling you you shouldn't be angry if you were treated a certain way and the data is demonstrating you shouldn't have been treated that way. Uh, and I never um, supported anyone that got treated the way they did when they were uh, canceling people, uh, especially in New York City. Uh, but nonetheless, at the end of all this, I think what bears mentioning and what's most important is that these assumptions of being right and the other side being wrong is what's further dividing us. And these assumptions are so utterly flawed to begin with that it's sort of ridiculous they're presented in the first place. Uh, some other quick things. Now it's top five five. I want to get them all out there. I thought it was interesting that Elon Musk is threatening to sue a company that said that the hate speech on Twitter or X, as it's now called, uh, went up a whole lot. Uh, People are actually calling him the um, uh, the free speech absolutist who wants to sue somebody for not, uh, you know, saying something uh, correct, even though it would be protected under free speech. It's sort of hilarious to shape him that way because. I think he wants to sue people who damaged his company. Uh, He doesn't want to sue them because their opinion was wrong. Uh, They acted like it was fact, and he says it's not. Uh, So I think that makes sense. And then also I do want to touch on this Bradley thing. I I guess call this a top four at 5 o'clock. So Bradley is looking to recover a lot of money that it expected to get that it didn't get. And one of the reasons it mentioned in a press release it sent to our newsroom uh, is the lower-than-expected attendance in college. And that's the big thing I wanted to focus on. I do believe, whether it's the coverage of student loans and student loan debt forgiveness and everything else, um, or just in general maybe conversations uh, that are landing in other branches of that same uh, version of of discussion, that more and more young people, unlike my generation, are choosing not to go to college or at least not to go right away. And I think we might see that trend increase. Uh, We've gotten to a point where a college degree is so expected, it's so ubiquitous, uh, that I think that 
Um, very few people feel as though it's making them stand out anymore when trying to get jobs. I know advanced degrees are different, but a basic bachelor's degree uh, feels as though, especially even to like a hiring manager at a, at a uh, job right now, as if it's, it's not really anything. It's not a separating factor uh, because so many people have one and so many people went. And whether or not that education truly benefited us when we walked in the doors of whatever place we started working, it's debatable way more often than it's supposed to be if everyone was getting a degree. And so I'm not trying to say that college doesn't make sense for everybody, uh, but it, we might be past the time where everyone goes or everyone thinks they have to go uh, to get the best jobs, to get the, the you know, um, biggest chance at the, the most uh, financially beneficial life. And I wonder if we're going to see more and more young people start to just get their hands dirty, uh, wind up in, in trades where you apprentice first and wind up having a pretty good job relatively quickly. I mean, actually, you know what? I'll, I'll say this too. And this is just something that I want to throw out there. Um, we had to replace my dryer that broke over the weekend. It very broke. It was a very broken dryer. And uh, I think I might have broken something in the process of hooking up the new one, even though I think I fixed it myself. Uh, but I was calling around for electricians, and I was told it was a one-week, it's a two-week wait. Uh, a couple people were telling me it's a couple months uh, to get somebody to come out. And I, I asked a couple people why. And I didn't tell them who I was or that I'd talk about it on the radio. Uh, but I was just like, why is, is it so hard to find a, an electrician? And they go, well, there's just not a lot of them. We don't have the staffing we used to have. And so I think that the opportunity in one area in our society and the cost and now the, the uh, more significant conversation – uh, about how how impactful that cost is later in life uh, may cause more and more people to simply just not go uh, to school to to forge a different path uh, compared to a generation my generation where everybody went I'm not saying it's an excuse I'm not saying my student loan should be forgiven I'm just saying that everybody thought we we all needed to go uh, and maybe some of us really didn't need to go uh, the show that's on before me. Uh, two of those guys joke quite a bit about not finishing their college degrees, and they are a nationally syndicated radio show, so obviously they're doing something right. All right, quick break, a lot more, 1470, 100.3, WMBD, it's the Craig Collins Show. 1470, 100.3, WMBD, it's the Craig Collins Show. Uh, one last thing I probably would have mentioned in the top five at five if I didn't run out of time like I usually do, uh, although it's probably not a top five story. I just found it entertaining. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is the new quarterback of the New York Jets. Uh, my favorite is, I think, the Babylon Bee headline that Aaron Rodgers uh, retired from the NFL to play for the Jets. I say that quite a bit. Uh, but anyway, uh, he's got an old friend uh, that used to be a coach for the Packers for a long time uh, with him, the offensive coordinator at that, um, at that NFL program, uh, Nathaniel Hackett. Uh, he was recently criticized by another very famous high-profile coach, uh, Sean Payton. Uh, Aaron Rodgers was asked about this, asked about how uh, Sean Payton described a guy who's now the offensive coordinator for the team he plays for, and again, a guy he worked with at other places, and he'll tell you in just a second he really likes him a whole lot. Uh, but he was criticized by Peyton as creating one of the worst coaching performances in the history of the sport uh, with the Denver Broncos. I love the way uh, Aaron Rodgers ends this, and I'm not a fan of Aaron, and I know a lot of people around here, Bears fans, are no fan of Aaron. But I just I got to say that uh, at the very end of this, uh, when you quote Will Smith the way you do, it at least entertained me a tad. To, for a coach to do that to another coach. My love for Hack goes deep. You know, we had uh, some great years together in Green Bay. Kept in touch. 
Um, love him and his family. He's an incredible family man, incredible dad. And on the field, you know, he's arguably my favorite coach I've ever had in the NFL. Yeah. Just his approach to it, how he makes it fun, uh, how he cares about the guys, uh, just how he goes about his business with respect, with leadership, with honesty, with integrity. And it made me feel bad that someone who's accomplished a lot in the league is that insecure that they have to take another man down to set themselves up for some sort of easy fall if it doesn't go well for that team this year. I thought it was way out of line and appropriate, and I think he needs to keep uh, my coach's names out of his mouth. <laughs> so last part that I love so much, he needs to keep my coach's names out of his mouth. Uh, that's a Will Smith throwdown. That's a Will Smith uh, threat right there, and I, I don't know if that means that Aaron Rodgers is going to slap somebody in the face. But it just might happen. But I think I want that to be the end of most sentences now when you're defending someone uh, against someone else, someone you care about apparently as deeply as Aaron Rodgers cares about his offensive coordinator, a good family man, a man who I aspire to be like, just all these different things uh, you could say out there that I found incredibly uh, fun and interesting. Uh, but again, to end it the way he did, I, I loved it. Uh, one last quick thing, another palate cleanser, uh, if you will, before we get to some news, and then I'll do – some non-palate cleanser stuff after the news. Uh, there's a recent TikTok video that went viral. I won't play it because uh, it's actually laced with a lot of bad words about what it's like to be a parent that takes young kids to Disneyland. And uh, just to paraphrase it, it's not a fun experience. It is a bleep show is what they actually said. Uh, the entire time that you're there, there's little kids, there's people in costumes. Your kids want to very much meet some of the Mickey Mouse and whatnot performers. And the whole day is just a day of chaos I, I feel terrible uh, for so many people that have to deal with that. And I'm also thrilled that when I go to an amusement park, I get to still have fun. Although I haven't been one in a long time. Uh, that's one of the, I guess, fringe benefits of my wife and I uh, not being lucky enough to have kids is that I guess I get to get on the rides and no one's crying that they didn't get to hug Mickey Mouse or, or Mickey Mouse. At least I haven't done that yet. 1470, 100.3. WMBD, it's the Craig Collins Show. Um, we're going to do good story, bad story in just a second. I do that typically every day uh, that I'm on the air, Monday through Friday with you in the 530, 540 uh, time slot uh, or segment on the show. But before I do that, I want to talk about something else. I don't feel like this is an appropriate uh, good story, bad story. It's much more serious uh, than that. But it is interesting, and the debate and some of the things people are complaining about, I found to be sort of oddly unique, too. Uh, so there is a, a French daredevil. His name is Remy Lucida. Uh, I doubt you've heard of him, uh, but he is a guy that went online um, and went viral online for all these like death-defying stunts. He's the kind of guy that would climb to the top of a, a very tall building, uh, pull out his selfie stick and his camera, and tape himself like doing a, a trick at the top of a, a tremendously high si skyscraper. Uh, he died. He died doing extreme sports. I think he fell from Hong Kong's um, uh, Tregunter Tower. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Trey Gunter. I don't know. Uh, the 68th story of it. If that's a famous thing, I apologize for not knowing stuff about buildings. But anyway, uh, part of what now is going around online on social media is people shouldn't be criticizing the 30-year-old for the way he lived his life in conjunction with talking about the fact that he died. And that, to me, is sort of insane. I don't think people should be celebrating the death of a person, even a person uh, who seemed to be courting death and how they were behaving, uh, but saying that it's not okay, uh, especially not okay when you're maybe um, talking about 
the aspects of popularity that exist here or the other people who do stuff like this and how there is actual risk to your life uh, by doing it. Uh, the man had a family, I guess. So that's part of the reason people are saying now is not the time to criticize him. Uh, but isn't it exactly the time to have a conversation about how you probably shouldn't be chasing social media stardom by putting your life in danger in ways that are not um, um I don't know, the, the kind of things that we saw before social media became such a popular thing like it is now. And you see people that die um, uh, very sadly trying to take a selfie at like a national park in a way they shouldn't do it. This guy was climbing up giant buildings and, and you know, I guess uh, famous enough to be known by a lot of people. I'd never heard of him before. But again, I think in that exact moment, when the thing happens that uh, his parents have probably been worried about or his family have been worried about forever since he first started doing this, um, they said this could happen and he probably didn't believe them or listen to them. That is the right moment to say that this is the reason that this is the kind of thing that, that has become oddly popular, uh, not necessarily climbing on top of a giant skyscraper in Tokyo, but some version of a stupid stunt uh, that gets you injured or can take your life. And so I thought it was interesting that people were being shouted down uh, for saying that uh, he seemed to be putting himself in the situation uh, that sadly he's found himself in, because that is true, that when you risk your life, uh, your life is at risk. I don't know how to say that differently. I'm not, again, saying that I, I am happy to see a story like this happen, because you shouldn't be, uh, but you should be able to talk about it and talk about it honestly. And people online are being told they can't. And of course, they don't have to listen. I just thought it was interesting, the debate, if that's what you even want to call it, going on in that story. All right. Uh, time for good story, bad story. In this segment, I used to have a sounder for it, trying to build a, a new one. At some point, we'll have one. But you tell you one story that makes you feel good about the world, humanity, the people that live in it, all the, the you know, caring about your fellow man. And then I follow that immediately up with what teaches you a real-life lesson, something that's the exact opposite, uh, the exact reverse of the feel-good moment we have just a second before that. Here are some feel-good stories. I do have several. Um, a former uh, British paratrooper uh, spent six years walking the entire coastline of the United Kingdom. This was to raise money for veterans' charities. He just finished 19,000 miles of walking. When he left in 2017, he was a single dad and his daughter had just left for college. Now, six years later, he showed back up with a dog he adopted along the way, a woman he got engaged to while he was walking, and a new son who recently turned one year old. Yes, the son and the, the woman that he's engaged to were with him for the end of his journey. That's something to like walk out of your house and be like, all right, I'm walking the coast. I'm raising money for veterans, uh, a paratrooper himself, and then to walk back in uh, those years later with a totally different family. And that's probably the first time they've seen the inside of the actual house. Uh, that's fantastic to me. Uh, he also raised half a million dollars uh, by doing this, 19,000 miles. As I said, it took him six years, but half a million dollars raised for veterans in the U.K. Really, really cool story. Uh, one other good story. Why not do two? A couple in Rhode Island who were at a seafood uh, restaurant when they found a pearl uh, in a clam, uh, which is very rare. Uh, they're much more common in oysters. So they uh, hung on to it for two years, and the guy just used it to propose this month. Uh, she said yes, and they went back to the same fast food restaurant or seafood restaurant to celebrate. That story went viral. I think there's some audio of it. Uh, kind of a cool move, although honestly also a very cheap engagement ring because, like, you found that, man. 
Uh, she knows you didn't spend any actual money on that. And I'm, I'm sure it's worth a lot. But I got to be honest, you, you got yourself out of a thing uh, by paying way less than most people do. Here's that story. That's when I tasted this big round thing in my mouth. I'm thinking, what the heck is this? So I take it and spit it down in my hand and I put it on the table. My sister-in-law goes, is that a tooth? What are the odds of a pearl being inside the shell? Daddy goes, it's probably one in a million. He said, this would be a great engagement ring. Yes, yeah, and it's maybe going to be a great gating, uh, great engagement ring. Sorry, uh, stumble there. What I love about that even more than anything else is that she found it. She was the one who bit into the clam and finds it, and then he uses it to propose to her later. Smooth move, man. Uh, very, very wise. And it goes viral, and people are celebrating it. No one with the bad take I have. All right, here's the bad story for good story, bad story. A man in Phoenix got stuck uh, in someone's chimney while apparently trying to break into their house. It took a crew of firefighters to rescue him. He was checked out at a hospital, and then he was arrested. My favorite part, the guy is 47. His name is is Irvin Guzman. Uh, he said that he knew it was going to be tough to get through the chimney. He's like, this might not be a good plan. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Santa Claus does it, but the rest of us don't seem to. Uh, but I'm going to try it. It's my best path in to try to rob the joint. And you get almost immediately stuck. I think he made it down very little of the chimney. Uh, it had been over um, um, uh, an entire month in Arizona, so no one was using their fireplaces because everything was so hot. Excuse me, it had been over 110 degrees for an entire month. Uh, so that's one of the reasons he thought it was so clever is he knew that the chimney also would not be in use. So climb in the chimney, hope for the best, doesn't work out, get arrested. And then I also love the fact that they bring him to the hospital to make sure he's okay, and then they arrest him there. Uh, there's probably a little bit of him like, maybe mercy rule applies. Maybe they're going to let me leave. And then, no, 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 man, it's uh, very illegal what you're trying to do. All right, quick break, a lot more, 1470, 100.3, WMBD, it's the Craig Collins Show. 1470, 100.3, WMBD, it's the Craig Collins Show for a little bit more. Dave Ramsey coming up in about 15 minutes or so. We'll do some news in about 10. Um, I've been talking about UFOs more on this show than I ever thought I would, and yet we're still here. I saw this today, that there is now officially a lobbyist group uh, that's going to be lobbying for uh, Congress or for any politicians to give us more information about potential UAPs um, or UFOs, basically, as people uh, call them. Uh, the Scientific Coalition for UAP Studies is what it's called. It's got ties to Harvard, uh, which I thought was interesting, too. Uh, but they want us to tell they want to uh, push um, people within the government to tell us as much or anything as they can about unidentified aerial phenomena or, as many people just call it, a, a UFO. Um, the fact that they registered to lobby last week on behalf of Declassify UAP, uh, which was another uh, organization, too. It's an exciting time uh, because – and you know what? Actually, I, I saw – I think it was Ben Shapiro who had the rant that UFOs don't exist. And what he actually said specifically is the government's not good at stuff. I think I'm paraphrasing it still. The government's not good at stuff, so how, how could they possibly keep a secret uh, this insane for this long? There's just no way that there's aliens and those aliens are – are hidden somewhere uh, because it's like a 70-year-long secret that no one has, has cracked and, and leaked out there. I might be getting that wrong. It might not have been Shapiro who said it, but I, I kind of think it was. Uh, but anyway, what I love about that and I love about that take is that if there ever was a secret that people would probably keep in the government for as long as they kept it, I feel like UFOs actually is the one. Because just try to talk about them now with people who don't think they're at all a thing. 
uh, who think you're ridiculous to say it, people still don't believe it. I think there's a lot of people that could actually see it with their own eyes and be like, nah, I didn't see that. That's not a thing. Who cares? Let's move on. Let's go other places. Um, but who knows? I, I don't know. Uh, and I'm not telling you definitively that I'm positive there's UFOs and they have alien bodies hidden somewhere. I'm just telling you I'm not convinced that's not true. I don't know what to believe. And I know that I don't want to be the one guy, although actually I think it's pretty much all the people in media that didn't talk about this and then it winds up being true. This is one I want to own, people. I want to be at the forefront of telling you there might be UFOs, there might be aliens. So if there are, I feel like a genius and I'll pretend I didn't say might. Uh, no, I'm kidding. I'll, I'll probably be honest and it'll just be sad that I wasn't more sure. But I haven't seen one myself and that, that's all I need. Just a little bit of proof, uh, Doubting Thomas style. If I'm going to reference the Bible as Catholic Craig. Uh, a couple other things out there, uh, just quickly before I get out of here. I saw this story and I contemplated making it like the uh, bad story and my good story, bad story. But this is probably just a horrible experience. Although part of me feels like I'd, I'd personally love this. Uh, a ride in New York malfunctioned and they started uh, having a, an amusement park ride that goes forward and backward. It's called Music Express. Uh, there's usually very loud music playing while you do it. It just started going backward and then didn't stop. Uh, one guy who said he got stuck on the ride said it felt like an eternity. It was only 10 minutes. Most rides last two or three, so it was like a super triple bonus version of a ride. And again, people were not happy. I think some people might have gotten sick. Uh, they eventually used an emergency shutoff to turn it off because the main shutoff switch wasn't working, and they called it an electrical malfunction. But to me, this would be awesome. Uh, there's raw footage that has a whole bunch of bad words in it, so I can't play the bad words for you. Uh, but I, I would think that I would be lucky. No one actually got hurt. Uh, just some people might have gotten ill. Um, but if you had a roller coaster that lasted 10 minutes instead of three minutes, that's the dream, people. In some ways, that's the dream. Uh, maybe the only aspect of it that's negative is that it was all backward because uh, it's one of those like sort of um, sensory overload type of experiences with the loud music and stuff. But I, I probably personally would have been psyched. At 10 minutes when they turned it off, I probably would have been sad. But I'm assuming that. I don't know it for sure. I'd like to know. Anybody that operates roller coasters, let me know when I can go. Give me a 10-minute ride, and let's see how I feel. I think I'm going to feel awesome. Uh, other stuff out there, a study found the perfect sandwich, uh, what constitutes the perfect sandwich. Uh, surveys have found that Americans believe uh, that tomato is necessary. 54% of people say that. Cheddar cheese, 37% say that. And black forest ham, I think, came in third. 39% uh, say that's the perfect sandwich. That's a terrible sandwich to me. All that stuff in there is just not right at all. Uh, but science seems to basically agree uh, that those are the top things you should be putting on a sandwich. The best sandwich ever has turkey and it has roast beef. Uh, this is a club sandwich. It also has bacon. It's made by Jersey Mike's, and it's delicious. It's the number nine on the menu. And then I switch in a provolone cheese for Swiss cheese because I'm a good Italian. Uh, but that's the perfect sandwich. Uh, that's the right way to do it. Uh, many of the items on this list are just wrong. Uh, the top vegetables, onions, and cucumbers are listed as well, 54 and 51. Uh, no, don't don't need either of those. That's <laughs> uh, just my opinion. You tell me, uh, 309-340-4464, what the perfect sandwich is. 309-340-4464. I'd love to hear from you. I'll probably disagree with you. Uh, honey turkey came in at 39%, so just about tied with ham. Uh, pretty much all the meat options came in tied. Uh, black forest turkey, 37 uh, But provolone cheese way down at 30%. Crushed by cheddar and Swiss and American. All those things are wrong. Uh, that's, that's totally wrong. I love my hot take in the world of sandwiches. Uh, a couple other quick things. 
just four minutes of intense daily active uh, activity or exercise is enough to slash your cancer risk by a lot, especially for people that are, quote, non-exercisers. Uh, the University of Sydney in Australia uh, d- analyzed data of 22,398 adults who described themselves as non-exercisers. Uh, their average age was 62. Uh, they found that if you participated in some kind of pretty intense physical activity, uh, whatever that activity was, a lot of things are on the op- on the uh, table here as options. 4.5 minutes total per day, 32% reduced risk of of any sort of uh, physical activity related cancer. Uh, just uh, that's kidney, bladder, stomach, lung, uh, a list of things. Just four and a half minutes of some form of intense uh, activity uh, every single day. Uh, I'm I'm thinking of some things. You might be thinking of some things. I'm not going to make the jokes you expect me to make. Uh, but the good news there is that's a very a small amount of time. Is that's all you need, and then things can go uh, pretty well. Um, one other thing that I thought was kind of interesting out there is this self-help thing. Uh, someone asked about uh, tips for being a new manager at a workplace, how to cope if your promotion has put you in the hot seat is the headline of the article. I think it's in the New York Post uh, where people discuss what it's like to all of a sudden be the boss of a lot of people around you and whether or not you can do that. Uh, what I thought was so interesting about this, and I think the person who complained initially said they had a master's degree from Boston University, um, is how many things it seems, and this seems younger generation too. I'm a millennial. I think this person is a millennial uh, that you think you just can't do because the biggest skill, I think the best skill for anybody that's been a boss of mine that I've ever experienced is is being personable on a one-on-one interaction. Uh, I don't think I care as much if the person that I'm working for seems to do a great or not great in the world of big giant room conversations, although most bosses are pretty good at those. I think what's more important is the way you deal with someone in the one-on-one. And that seems to be the thing that this uh, person who wrote the self-help column was the most worried about, that they wouldn't be good at a one-on-one version of conversation, one-on-one interactions uh, with people that used to be their coworkers, uh, but now they're someone who's in charge of managing them. So it seems like the most common things missing are just basic human skills now in our society, and that seems really bad. Uh, by the way, a quick text uh, from Bryce who sent me that um, uh, Parmesan cheese, uh, veal Parmesan specifically at Burger King in the 80s, is the best ever. That's fine, man. Uh, people can be wrong. No, I'm kidding. Uh, that was pretty good. I think I remember that. Um, I was a baby in the 80s, uh, but I still think that the provolone sandwich, the, the one I get at Jersey Mike's, is better. Uh, but back to this. It's so interesting now. I was talking about Bradley and some of their, their funding or their, their budget uh, numbers that are worrying them. Uh, they sent us a press release, and they're saying they got to figure out a way to come up with millions of dollars. Uh, one of the things they said that was down was enrollment uh, in school. Uh, One thing that I I keep thinking about, and it's uh, also connected to this person who's worried they're not going to be a good manager, is those basic people skill things uh, that you're not learning online. You're not learning if you go home and play video games after school every day. You're not learning in the places you need to learn them, and they're not necessarily the things uh, they teach you at college. They might be the biggest separators uh, for this generation that's entering the workforce now is is good at the most basic people skill stuff uh, that other generations just – 
thought of as normal. I don't think you thought of that as something you'd list on the resume. I'm really great at one-on-one conversations. It feels like the kind of thing that wouldn't have helped you get a job before, but it might legitimately help you get a job uh, now, at least with how many people seem to be afraid of an inability to do that. And then one last quick thing. Uh, I mentioned this on Friday. I just wanted to throw it out there again because it went viral all weekend long. Uh, More and more women are taking the man in their life, uh, boyfriend, husband, whoever, to the Barbie movie, and it's called The Barbie Test. And if the guy doesn't like the movie, if the guy doesn't want to go to the movie, there's a bunch of different reasons uh, that I guess the woman is supposed to feel as though he doesn't pass the Barbie movie test, and then eventually he's out, it's over, move on to the next guy. Uh, That is a very weird, very specific, and very unlikely to go well, I think, test for a lot of people. Uh, not just because you think the movie is is anti-anything, uh, but probably because it might not be the most entertaining topic or subject matter for a whole bunch of guys. Uh, Barbie is not something I grew up wishing would become a movie, so I'm not sure I'm going to like it, even if I just, uh, you know, and I'm willing to go. I think my wife wants to see it, so I might see it at some time. 